0: A lot of aspiring restaurateurs, you know, all try to figure out like which beat to kind of rap to. But the beat exists in you and if mm-hmm. you're rapping to your own beat that, you know, beats inside of you, I feel like that's genuine, that's sustainable, and you can do this shit for the rest of your life without any and any hater who doesn't like it, well, guess what, go fuck yourself. Amen. To that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: When you're talking, you want to be maybe like a fist or two from the mic. fist or two? No, a fist or two. Fist. Yeah, pretty, pretty. Uh, hello, that's one, two, one,
0: that's two, good. one, two. Yo, yo, oh, what's man, up? This guy is a professional. We're,
2: we're working with professional podcasters. <laughs> Simon on? Kim. Forget the Michelin stars. He is a professional podcaster. <laughs> right. He gets one bunk podcast. Thanks podcaster. for joining.
1: <laughs> there it is. That's good. And that's the show. <laughs> and we're out of here. All right, so last order of business before we start this thing. Yes. Cigars for everybody. Oh, man. Thank Watch you. Watch
2: out. Welcome to the next episode of Pang Kong Podcast. Oh, do
1: we only have one? Here. No, go ahead. Oh, no. I, was, I, I thought that I had brought more than one
2: lighter. Starring Nick being confused, <laughs> as per usual. This is Pan
1: Kong Podcast. I am oh, going to yeah? give myself a title here. Watch out. Drinks here, courtesy of man, Emma. That
2: is Thank a- you
1: very much. I got my James Pepper on over here. Watch
2: out. Last this time is someone <laughs> got a martini was Larry, and things got real crazy Oh, Larry Long Island. Long podcast.
1: Island Larry is a martini, man. Long Island Larry. He was on martini like three or four by the time he yeah, started. Yeah, I know.
0: I'm actually from Long Island.
1: Well, what? no, well, it's because he drinks Long Island iced teas. You know Larry.
0: <laughs> Larry
2: Carino is my publicist. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, he yeah. was courting you. He told me, said, tell Simon so, really. to say hello. <laughs> no, I, I, got I got an email from Larry.
0: He's like, yo, I need reservations. I was like. Yeah, for
2: sure. <laughs> He's actually yeah. sitting over there having dinner right now. Oh, is yeah. he? Simon, right. so cool. I, I need yeah. some reservations. I'm sure he'll yeah, crush this party. Yeah, yeah, you know, he picked someone else. What am I, I going to do, like, Mike? What yeah. am I going to do?
0: Nah. <laughs> I hope there's no mafia thing going on, no. you know? The Carino Mafia is strong around
1: here. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, there isn't. So, uh, this is Punkum Podcast. I am Nick Jimenez. I am joined, as usual, by our host, 8th grade basketball MVP, James Beard, semi-finalist chef and owner of the Everett University all-time record for most cafecitos brewed by a defensive lineman Michael Beltran. We got competition for, for Zach Stern <laughs> Zach in the sound effects know. department. Zach Stern came hard with the sound effects. I feel like this is going to be a Zach good ride. Zach is already upset. Oh, He's been man.
2: dethroned. Thanks. And He's and we dethroned. are
1: joined by Human Soundboard and yeah. uh, and guest on this podcast Simon Kim. Simon Kim. Is the proprietor of a place called Cote. Did I say that right? Cote. Or you can say Cote. Yeah. Okay. But no, but I like saying things yeah, right. I like it. And in the spirit of saying, th- so Simon Kim uh, Cote in uh, in New York City was a recipient of a Michelin star. This is the second very young Michelin star restaurateur we've had because uh, you are in the company now of uh, David Fouquier of Sushi Nas. I see. Uh, Also, and this is where I'll hand it off to you, I just want to say this. I I met Simon five minutes ago, but I already, before I met him, appreciated him very much. Because of all the guests we have had on this podcast who note that they are restaurateurs in their Instagram bios, Simon is one of the few who doesn't spell it with that obnoxious N, restaurateur. That is not a thing. It makes no sense. So thank you, Simon,
0: for knowing how that word is said. Man, that is Thank insane. you, Nick. But Nick by the way, I state. actually spelt it with an N. <laughs> and then somebody actually uh, DM'd me, hey, that's not how you spell that it. That just means that you have yeah. good people around you. Exactly. So I was like, oh, okay. A little embarrassed, but you, know, you learn. You hey, learn. You live
2: and you learn, right? There you go. Simon, welcome. Cheers. Cheers, man. Thank you. Welcome to Punk On Podcast and welcome to Miami. Much appreciated. Man, there's so many things. It, it, there's so many things to talk about. I have to say... I listened to an interview today that you did with some. What was the one that you sent me?
1: That was um, it was a Korean American channel. And I forget the interviewer's name. It was her. You drank half a bottle Julie, of whiskey. Yeah, I got yeah, yeah. pretty tanked. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's perfect.
2: It was it was perfect. And I appreciated so many things that you said in that interview that I'm uh, throughout the course of this podcast. I'll go through. But <clears throat> something I really appreciated the most was talking about. The fact that the restaurant was so busy, but you were struggling financially, and it's because you had to learn how to make money. I know that's a heavy way to start the podcast, but I, I loved it, and it resonated with me so hard because I know exactly how the fuck that feels, and it's like you don't... It's You're almost confused, right? Like, there's people in seats, things are happening that are good, fucking... The food is good, the vibe is good Things can be better, but everything always For a tour. things can be better Like But you still have to learn how to make money Sure, and it was something that Like, after I heard that I, I, I sat for a while and I was like, man I, I understand that feeling so well And I think what Dictates the future of Someone who wants to open restaurants And wants to continue that As, as their career is like how do you shift from there? Can you learn how to do it? And if you can't, you will fail. You know?
1: This episode of Pang Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Drew Estate, and master blender, Willie Herrera, who are proud to introduce the Herrera Esteli
2: Miami Cigar. Crafted by Level 9 Cuban Rollers at El Titán de Bronce in Calle Ocho, The complete Herrera Esteli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Herrera Esteli Miami features a black and gold color tone and is available in the following five Vitolas. Nick, tell everyone, what is a Vitola? A Vitola, and by the way,
1: I would like everyone listening to this ad to know, this is the first take, and we're doing very well.
2: (laughs) I I am shocked. I have no idea what's going on, and I have to say it's because of the anxious coffee that Nick has made. Oh, man. Just wait for the poops.
1: Uh, A Vitola, the term Vitola refers to the sizes of the cigars, right? So some of the common ones that people hear are Robusto and Corona and Mm -hmm. Churchill, uh, those are all terms for vitolas. The five vitolas that Just, the,
2: I want to interrupt you because it's not always about the size of the cigar. That's true. It is the type of cigar. So tell them
1: that's true. So the five the five vitolas that uh, that Herrera teli comes in are Herrera teli Miami Robusto Grande, five by fifty. Should we go with like uh, anglicized pronunciations? Is it a, for because your name is on the sandwich? Is this a Robusto Grande or a Robusto Grande?
2: I mean it depends how do you feel like our listeners in Salina would feel I want them to feel like it's robusto grande
1: Bueno that's a good vitola So robusto grande which is a 5 by 50 by the way for the uninitiated 5 by 50 means it is 5 inches long and 50 64ths of an inch in diameter so uh close to 5 6 So just you uh, have painting a picture here in your mind Robusto Grande, which is a five by fifty, Toro Especial, which is six by fifty-two, Lonsdale Deluxe, a six and a half by forty-four, Piramide Fino, six and a half by fifty-four, short corona gorda, which is five and three quarters by forty-eight. This cigar is exclusive to Drew Diplomat Retailers. For more information, you can visit DrewEstate.com. That's D-R-E-W Estate.com, or follow them at Drew. Drew Estate Cigar on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Mike, you had this cigar. I know that you're a Drew Estate fan.
2: I am a Drew Estate fan.
1: I'm very glad that they've come on as a part. I, as a general rule, I want to make sure that to the extent that we can, and we've pulled this off so far, we're only partnering with people and taking money from people whose products we're actually into.
2: Like Santos. Uh, actually, absolutely, like Santos Sangria. Santos Sangria.
1: Sangria. I, I, I actually have told them, like, I'll, listen, I'll give you an ad because I'm out of Santos Sangria.
2: Right. Uh, I have to say that um, after going through this ad, one of the things that sticks out to me the most is how very much I feel like this is softcore Cinemax porn at 11 o'clock. Explain to everyone, a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder, how that doesn't sound very sexual.
1: Listen, I I don't know that the people at Drew Estate would object to (laughs) our (laughs) selling them as a sexual product. Yeah. but in case anybody's curious about what that even means, so Ecuadorian Sumatran binder. So I, Sumatran is not a style of... That's the thing. Of yeah. sexual style. It's not a sexual style. Got it. I mean, although it depend, some people do sexual things with their cigars. All right. Listen, you open this door. Man, we fucked this ad up already. <laughs> Jeez. No, but, uh, but Ecuadorian Sumatran. That might sound confusing to people who know their geography because Ecuador and Sumatra are both places. It is a Sumatran binder, meaning that it is a variety of tobacco uh, named for Sumatra, but it was grown in Ecuador. And you see this a lot in cigars where you have a an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper. Uh, which means that it's a uh, Connecticut tobacco variety but grown in Ecuador. People who listen to this podcast are going to hear us smoke. Pretty soon, we're going to have Willie Herrera, the master blender, on as a guest on the podcast. Uh, If you're curious about
2: cigars, that is definitely one you want to tune in for. I have to say that I I smoke a pretty good wide range of cigars and I I gravitate towards Drew Estate a lot. I Mm -hmm. think that the consistent how consistent and good those cigars are is, like, very rare. And we've talked about that a lot. Like, you know, sometimes you'll get a cigar, and then it'll be great, and then you go back to get it, like, six months later, and it's just not as good. Right. I've never had that experience with Drew Estate stuff, and it's like, I don't know. I've I've been a fan for a long time, way before they started paying me to say I was a fan, <laughs> right. way before. No, it's true. Yeah. It's true. No, we've been to cigar shops together a
1: more than once. You've pointed out Drew Estate things. But inside. that's what like, I, I, I actually... I smoked that, and that's awesome.
2: The red label, uh, Herrera Esteli, I smoke every week. Yeah. yeah. A- every week, it'll be the first, like, you know, when I go to one of these places, I'll go... That's the first thing I grab, and then I'll go into something else second yeah. if I decide to smoke two or three that day.
1: So I'm glad you brought that up because I want to make a distinction here. You, re- you referenced the the one that has the, the red, red label, label on red it. Red and gold, yeah. And that's the core Herrera Esteli which is made in Esteli. Esteli is uh, the Nicaraguan sort of capital of cigar making. The Esteli Miami that we had been talking about is actually made, and this is referenced in the copy that we read, but El Titán de Bronce in in Little Havana. Uh, So this is also a cigar that you want to go after. And I remember I I, uh, passed this along to one of our friends in the uh, social media sphere who was putting together a list of local businesses, and I said, Ah. like, hey, you might want to check out El Titán de Bronce. Uh, and El Titán in Little Havana is not just in Miami, but in the country, one of a very, very small number of American cigar factories that actually distribute all over the place. So it's cool that, you know, uh, that this is a product that people everywhere have access to, um, and, and it comes from a small factory in Miami that has a, a very good reputation, not just all over the country, but all over the world. Somebody gave me one of these Miami ones for Christmas. So, it was delicious. Merry Christmas. So, again, this cigar is exclusive to Drew Estate, uh, to Drew Diplomat retailers. For more information, drewestate.com or follow them Drew Estate
2: Cigar on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We expect sales to go up 20% after this ad. I might cut that out. <laughs> I think what really like dictates the future of a restaurant tour is like, can you find your way out of that? How do you find your way out of that? Do you, and at that point for you, what was it? What was it that clicked for you that you learned how to make money? Yeah.
0: So first of all, Nick, chef Mike, uh, thanks for having me. So jumping right in, you know, money, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, like honestly, I think this is the demon that, many people with passion wants to avoid, right? It's not about the money. It's not romantic. Right. It's not about the money. That's not the point. But guess what? It is about the money. Because if you want to cook at your house, if you want to have your, some of, of your friends over, it's a very different thing. But you have people working with you who believes in your vision and who believes in the mission and who comes to work and you need to pay these people, you know, as best as you can. Right. In fact, you want to pay them more, and you want them to continuously grow, and you want to continuously improve their quality of life. And so, the moment that it really clicked is when I had to shut my restaurant down. Mm. You know, when I first started that restaurant when I was 30 years old, and I'm so grateful that restaurant was always busy from the day one, you know, right. the restaurant was busy, but it was but i just couldn't make money so that joy of having a full restaurant and joy of being on the floor being able to spend the time with your guests you know drinking wine with them talking about the amazing vision and all those things and then when the the shift is over everyone goes home you're looking at the balance sheet you're like oh my god i'm losing money right but and you know obviously we're not we we tried our best. You know, we looked at our um, food costs and all those things. Food costs and supplies and all those things are actually much more manageable. But what's not manageable is labor costs. Right. What are you going to do? You're going to let go of a sous chef that's been with you from the day one? No. I feel like, so long so short, when I had to shut my restaurant down, it was like, you know, you have a, is that whose dog is the Petey? Petey is, is Nick's. Uh, he's actually the host of the podcast. Yeah. We're all just here for Petey, but it's Nick's dog. So now we're talking about something serious. I want to talk about what it felt like to close my own restaurant with a Michelin star. Yeah. It was like I had dog all my life. It was like euthanizing your own dog, if you will. You know, it was cover the ears. saddest was thing. Yeah. yeah. Petey, cover yours. It was the saddest thing in my entire life. And I realized, you know, that as a restaurateur, if you sign up to become the business owner, become a business owner, you have a fiduciary duty. You know, Correct. as much as you might want to have great time having fun with a guest or um, serving the best food, but you have, you know, you're you have to financially support all of your people. And I think that's when it really clicked. Yeah,
2: I mean, we just turned five a week ago, so
0: happy birthday! Be thank you. Yeah
2: and it was it was a big milestone for me cuz the at the beginning for me it was very similar like romance i love my food i love my restaurant i love the people that work in it all those things and thankfully ariette was my first and we haven't had to close ariette other than you know for quarantine but i know it's been god bless you it's been shocking yeah. but cuz year 2 was so difficult right And it was like looking at all those things. And it's when it became romantic to I have a responsibility to not only, you know, continue the dream that I have, but to keep people employed, to continue cooking the food that we cook, because I feel like it does have an impact long term um, to keep on doing the things that we're doing there's bigger responsibilities here. You need to stop living in the clouds and you need to look down and like. Search within yourself what really what it really does. And that's why money is important. And all my friends that open up restaurants now and they, they're doing all the things, I tell them, like, there's certain things that you need to consider from day one right now. How you structure the entire business, day one, will affect you forever. And I know that we can all love food. We can all love everything. We can all do all the things. But you cannot lose sight of that balance sheet. You cannot lose sight of the PL, You cannot lose sight of, like, the greater goal, which is staying open and making money, right? So that's why when you said that, it, it resonated with me so much because it was like, it is romance, right? Like, the, the idea of dining, the art of dining, the whole thing from the kind of food that you serve to the kind of service you, st- you have, the, the drinks that you serve, the wine, all that stuff. It's romantic. It's art. There's so many things that go into it. But in order to be able to do that, you need to have money. You need to have money. And then on top of that, you as an owner, right, which a lot of people on the other side of this don't understand, is you have responsibilities to people that give you money. Absolutely. That you have to give them their money back. So it's just, it's like a a never-ending cycle, right? And it's just, I think it's very eye-opening for a lot of people when they get to that point and they're just kind of like, you can, and I'm still incredibly romantic and passionate about what we do. But you need to be realistic, too. Sure. Realism, like the whole realistic aspect, like this is not realistic as a restaurant. This is just not... It's not going to make you money. You're not going to be able to stay open. And your dream restaurant will close.
0: It's almost like... It's about the romance. We didn't get into this business because you know it pays as good as the hedge fund managers or no, private no. equity guys do. You know, no. We got into this business because we genuinely love the romance of it. Yeah. And what I realized is that a lot of times people think that, is it about the romance or is it about the finance, right? Right. That's not the question that that I like to ask anymore. You know, I realized that money and financial stability and growth allows you to continuously be romantic. Right. So it's, it's definitely not mutually exclusive. In fact, one actually supports the other. Right. And have a beautiful thing because i want my sous chef to be able to live in a beautiful home right beautiful car and be able to have a family and actually you know have a great quality of life right you know along with the passion a place where he can be passionate he can you know continuously learn and why why do i have to choose one or the other right when we can you know try to do both
2: i i loved it that that would, a lot of things stuck out for me for that thing and we'll we'll get into it more yeah. but anyways i know we started with a heavy hitter that was like a
0: fastball step yeah. one sorry it's like a home run of, uh home base on the on the <laughs>
2: it's been a long it's been a long week yeah. and year and day so that's why i started oh, pretty pretty strong. Strong friday
0: oh. yeah happy thursday thursday yeah. today
2: is thursday um so tell me a little bit about yourself uh-huh. where you grew up how you got here New York experience, you know, your restaurant experience, unpack some of those things.
0: Sure. So my name is Simon Kim, owner of a Korean Steakhouse uh, in New York and now in Miami to open in early February. Um, I was born and raised in Seoul, Korea. I came to America when I was 13 years old. Uh, I didn't know how to speak English. I knew how to say hello. Mm. Um, I moved to New York. Uh, I grew up in Long Island after that since I was 13. When I was 16 years old, my parents opened a restaurant in Tribeca, so I started my restaurant job as a busboy. And since then, I fell in love with the hospitality. I went mm-hmm. to school in Las Vegas, studied hospitality, worked for MGM Grand, came back to New York, worked for uh, places like Pierre Gas or Chef Jean Georges yeah. and Chef uh, Thomas Keller. And then I opened my restaurant in uh, West Village, Piora, now closed. Um, and I opened my second restaurant concept, which is Coat in 2017 mm. and it's been uh, I'm so grateful that it's been a beautiful ride uh, the concept itself is something the concept is who I am I'm Korean I was born in Korea but I'm American I was born in uh, now I, I grew up in America so Korean steakhouse is what uh, Coat is the best of both worlds that I try to meet mm. and here I am opening a restaurant in Miami I'm falling in love with uh, Miami and life is good. That does sound good.
2: So the restaurant that your parents opened in Tribeca, what was that like?
0: Mm, so it was um the like <clears throat> this was this was late nineties, so it was yeah. uh, quite a while ago. And Korean food was definitely not what it what it is now. <clears throat> no one really knew what it was, and it was all kind of uh, located in Thirty Second Street, which is a K Town,
2: if mm. you will. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, that's
0: where all the chefs hang out after work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Karaoke. Hint, hint. But um, so she opened a restaurant in Tribeca, which back then was um, even much cooler place than now, right? Right now it's a little more gentrified, but back then it was a super cool place. And she opened up a very like neoclassic Korean restaurant. She went to take a course in French Culinary Institute for uh, six months, and then she learned the techniques. But she's always been a, a fantastic chef, you know? So she opened that restaurant, and so it was the food that I grew up eating, mm. but just presented just a little more um, nouveau, a little more French technique uh, of uh, plating, but ultimately it's the food that I grew up eating, and can you imagine, like, I didn't speak good English then, you know, at all, and my mother didn't either, and she's opening a restaurant in Tribeca, the coolest place to be, I was like, how's this going to work? Mm. It worked. Right, I mean, it was uh, busy. It was uh, always packed. You know, you know, Juan de Meryl Strip, all those like Hollywood. You know, back then I was like, oh my goodness, these are like, right, you know. So I think that's where my spirit of kind of fier- fierceness. Like, if my middle-aged mom from Korea can open a restaurant in Tribeca, um, what can't I do? Right. Yeah. How long was it there? We had it for a little while, probably about ten years. Oh, yeah. That's a. That's a hell of a run
2: for a restaurant. Yeah. Ten years is a good good amount of time. Mm-hmm. And when did you decide that opening a restaurant was your thing?
0: So um, early on, I was into hotel. So I thought, growing up in Korea, uh, my father would take me to fine dining restaurants. Mm. Uh, so he was he had a um, he had a polio at young age, so he was not very mobile. Right. So. You know, going to hiking and like playing catch was not not our thing. Right. That's not his comfort zone. So he would take me to, you know, fine dining restaurants and all fine dining restaurants back in like uh, late 80s and early 90s were all in hotels. When like Grand Hyatts and those kind of like bigger um, uh, luxury uh, hotels came into Asia, that, that became kind of that epitome of Life, lifestyle. So any fine dining was uh, located in a hotel. So growing up, I loved hotels, right? Like it's, it's grandiose, it's luxurious, it's larger than life. So I always was drawn to that hotelier life, if you will. That's why I went to hotel school. But so my first job was at um, MGM Grand. While going to uh, UNLV for hotel management... I actually found the job as a front desk agent at MGM Grand. Yeah, that's how it all started. And then um, I was there for two and a half years. I became a front desk manager. And one day, because I was at the front desk, and I'm not sure if you uh, recognize it or not, but I'm a, I'm a guy that says hello to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm in the front desk. I say hello to everybody. Right. And then one day, the vice president of fine dining came up to me and I'm like 25 and he's like Simon do you want to run a a, a Japanese fine dining restaurant I was like fuck yes let's 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 give it a shot and then that I started working as a manager there I feel like that's when I genuinely felt like a fish has finally met its water that's a good feeling Mm. how long were you there in the hotel if you consider the front desk as well, I was there for about three and a half years.
2: Hmm. Yeah, how old were you when you did that?
0: I think I was. Tw- I think I started at twenty four, twenty five.
2: And from there, you went to go work for Jean George.
0: From there, I had some, you know, living in Las Vegas. You know, you can oh. imagine, right? As a uh, middle mid twenty, so <laughs> I got in a bunch of troubles and in, in life, and I enjoyed my life very much. But things didn't, you know, things. All good things come to an end. So right. Las Vegas was done. So I moved back home to New York. And from there, my f- first job in New York was actually uh, Be Our Guest. It's a Steve Hansen's empire mm. uh, in W Hotel in Times Square. The restaurant was called Blue Finn. It was a pre-theater, post-theater restaurant. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that was, I did that for a year and a half. And then, and then I applied to a, a Craigslist job posting. For uh, Chef Jean-Georges and, and
2: Those pre-theater rushes are intense Man
0: Holy shit They it's are like, brutal
2: It's just like I worked in one pre-theater restaurant In Fort Lauderdale for like Eight months It was in like You know that I believe a lot of people have like that Kind of foggy portion of their career That they're just kind of like It's like they're a nomad And they're traveling from one re- And that was that portion And poof They do like 400 covers And like an hour and a half and it was precisely yeah. brutal
0: brutal Basically, and then it was like yeah. nothing
2: then you do like 20 covers resting. exactly crickets right yeah it's brutal it's just like it was right next to the i forgot the the one in fort lauderdale but man i never, i never wish to go back to that that's i i never wanted that but i
0: bet it, it taught you how oh, to man. hustle like nobody else's is- Business.
2: Well, there's certain jobs, I think, in your career that as much as you maybe didn't appreciate them at the time, like you learned, you know, I worked on, I, there was a portion of my career that I had like two jobs or three jobs. And one of my like auxiliary jobs was working on a food truck and working in that tight space, putting up like, you know, that food truck had pretty decent food. At that time, that was like when Miami had like the peak of the food truck thing. Sure. It was just like, I mean, you have this much space to work in, your tickets are on the rail, and they're falling down, and it's like, you have to figure this shit the fuck out. And it was just like, that shit helped me out a lot. Yeah. yeah. Everything, for good or for bad, has some kind of impact on you long term.
0: My so, favorite thing is uh, that uh, that only the restaurant industry people will know is the the sound of tickets printing, oh. you know? The, the, sound the, the, people, exactly. the sound of our people, man. Exactly. sound of our people. And it'll wake you up in the yeah. middle of the night. Yeah.
2: You know, I've had nightmares because of ticket machines and walk-in sure. coolers. Yeah. Like, you know, like the recurring nightmare I had when I was a sous chef was like organizing the walk-in and then finishing and then turning around and then it being fucked up again. And then fixing it again and then turning around and then being fucked
0: up again. I'm just like, mmm.
2: and then just like. And then it just falls on you, and then you wake up. Yeah, that was like a recurring nightmare for like I don't know three years.
0: That sound, right? That's specific that the ticket printing sound. So I talk to my chef David um, all the time. So during pandemic, we miss that sound so much. Yeah. you know, it's like that, that's the sound that you want, and but honestly, that's the nightmare and the wet dream at the same token. You know?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you're happy when the ticket machine is making noise. Yeah. You're also quite tired when it yeah. continues to make noise. Exactly. It doesn't stop making exactly. noise. It's like uh- and it's just going I and it's do, going do, 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 and it's right. going and it's like fuck. Yeah. Close in ten minutes and then it's like <laughs> it goes off three more times and you're like
0: fuck. Yeah.
2: But you're also happy because you still have a job and the restaurant's right. operating and things like that.
0: Hey, money's not coming in until the tickets are printing, right? <laughs> Let's talk about the decision to come to Miami.
2: You um, experienced a good amount of success, obviously, in New York. Very grateful. Got your star in New York. Um, referencing that podcast that I was listening or show—I don't know what it is—from um, earlier. Um, that made a big difference for you guys financially, which is, is a big, big thing. Uh, at least for me, when I talk about bringing stars to Miami, through all that time. When did you make a decision that you wanted to come to Miami? And I want to. I want to. Yeah. I want. I'd like to preface the question because our listeners and people who do follow me will say that I'm very outspoken about the New York thing coming down to Miami, Mm. right? And is it because you saw opportunity in us before or is it you only see opportunity in us now? And I say that coming from a place that the community here is very dear to me, right? So are people coming to pillage what we've created or are people coming to be a part of the community, right? Sure. You know... Obviously, I've rubbed a lot of people the wrong way with those questions and the way that I frame them. Um, And that's why I ask you, was the idea B.C. or was it now? And was it because you saw something here that you thought that you could help improve or because it was just an opportunity
0: was too hard to pass? Sure. So that honest, you know, is I signed that lease two years ago. And the reason why I ask you that also is because I heard about this two years ago. Right. Exactly so, so definitely. I mean, COVID nineteen honestly is um, for especially for Miami. It's um, literally there's no other city in New Yorks uh, in America where you know a restaurateur would be excited to open a, open a restaurant. There's no sure. other city, in my humble opinion, uh, other than my, Miami. But that was a completely fluke because I already signed the lease two years ago, you know, right. and and I've been studying uh, for about a year before that, so. Code was meant to be, you know, we wanted to actually, you know, code is my love. You know, it's yeah. who I am. I am. So any place that loves steak can really appreciate code, right? Code is the first of its kind. There's, There hasn't been a Korean steakhouse ever in existence. You know, it's a first category. So any place that can appreciate steak, which is any major city can appreciate a steak. So that was all um, on the table. Mm. So I was studying initially Las Vegas, you know, uh, as well as uh, LA, Los Angeles, as well as um, Boston, Washington DC as well as Miami. Mm. And one of my business partner uh, had a, a strong voice that Miami can be a fantastic opportunity. I didn't know much about Miami until then you know right. about two years ago so, I started coming here. I was literally so shocked, just about so many things that people don't really know about Miami. You know, Amen especially to that. I'm actually Asian. You know, so uh, as you can tell, there are no Asian are people you? in. <laughs> yes, I mean this black hair is actually natural. <laughs> uh, but one. no joke, like so there's no Asian people in Miami. You know, and and I think a lot of Asian people may think that this is a very like you know, segregated community and, and close-minded community. But as I was spending time here, everybody came from somewhere else. You yeah, know? Yeah. It's a place where diversity is genuinely welcomed, you know, yeah. and there's that kind of appreciation for different culture, vibrancy. Uh, people love to eat and they love to enjoy life. And coming from New York... You know, I always lived life so seriously, you know, everything oh, yeah. was so serious. And when I came to Miami, the beach, the weather, you know, of course it all starts from there, right? Like Yeah. But more I learned about the people, more I learned about the culture, more I learned about the lifestyle, and then I learned about where it's going, you know, the the more of appreciation for art, restaurant, culture, and like the the and that movement was just so exciting to me. You right. know, and sorry to cut you off. Yeah. So Yeah, sure. Yeah. He owns a steakhouse. Don't be don't be nervous. But I hey, wasn't the, the steak yeah, I heard so much about the the James Beard semi finalist chef, so I'm I'm excited to That's her. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: some me. I'm from England, man. I don't yeah.
0: <laughs> I'll take some blood sausage, please. We have that too. Yeah.
2: And a butty. <laughs> and a butty. <laughs> <a buddy>. Um <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice to hear someone else say those things because, you know, I think we're living in a very interesting time that so many people are just coming here for, I feel like, the wrong reasons. The good reasons here are things like that, which are Miami has so many special things to offer and so many, I think, things that people wouldn't expect, right? Which is a depth that is so special, you know? Um, a lot of people just look at it like palm trees and bikinis, which there's lots of those and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also a lot of depth and there's a lot of culture and there's a lot of acceptance and there's a lot of like diversities, a great word because there's a lot of diversity within the Hispanic community, but there's a lot of diversity elsewhere too. Sure. Um, and I think all that leads to opportunity in so many different places for so many different types of food, for so many different types of demographics that it's like, it's Obviously, I'm from here, so I have a, you know, I love it here. Um, but I think, the, I think the end result of people like yourself that are coming here with good intention um, and with a good overall, like, feel for it will do nothing but great things here.
0: Yeah, and also, even even the most important thing is I love to have fun, you know. Oh, there's a lot of that here.
2: Right. And Well, once the curfew is lifted past 12, it's going to get right. a little hairy. But, yeah, it's true. A lot right. of fun.
0: Exactly, and 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 I don't mean that in such a like nightclub sort of a thing. I'm talking about just um, just having a good time. Right. And my always like when I when I talk to my um, which one is which? Yeah? yeah. That's beautiful. These Glorious. are all
2: samples because we don't have any steaks. We're not. We don't have any steaks on the menu right now. No kidding. We haven't had a steak on the menu in like years. Mm. Great texture, though.
1: Can I tell you? I think we should do. A whole episode of this podcast where everybody's doing the interview
0: while they're chewing steak. I love it.
1: I think people would tune in.
0: By the way, gentlemen, I'm I'm so grateful for cigar, martini, and steak. Come on, oh, this dude, is how we podcast, man. Yeah. This is I don't know what other podcast you've been on,
2: but this is a shit show, and it always is. This is the only reason we've been doing this, this for a year back. has
1: made no money. That's that's the main reason we're still doing it. It's like this is the it? romance. This is yeah. the
0: romance. We don't have to worry about that my favorite diet uh martini and steak you know honestly
2: i'm not a big red meat guy no i'm like a weird uh, i love off cuts yeah i love shit like sweetbreads and liver Mm. and you know careful with gout yeah no i know i'm good right now i'm in the best shape of my life that's gout free i'm gout free but i also eat super clean for the most part yeah but then when i go out i'll always want like the weird shit you know
0: but that's kind of also the thing, right? So when I looked at Miami, people have a very active lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They like to eat clean and be healthy, just not because of like some other reasons, but it's just like the environment calls for it, right? And Code is all about that, you know. It's where just clean place where we sell steak and vegetables. I love that. Yeah, no mashed potatoes, no cream of spinach, no like no like. We don't have any gunk, if you will
2: the stuff that sticks to your ribs right in New York did you ever go to Missy of course I love Missy yeah. it's kind of like that it's just pasta and vegetables yeah but this is steak and vegetables right honestly Missy was an incredible meal I, I love Missy man that yeah. the restaurant
0: was great Lilia is also fantastic as well
2: we also went there we yeah. ate at like 22 places in two days it well, was thanks coming
0: thanks for coming to Co. yeah
2: <laughs> I hear it's hard like, to get a reservation there. Yeah. <laughs> that's why Larry's hitting you up.
0: Yeah. You'll you be my guest.
2: That time we went to um,
0: Uncle Boone's. Yeah.
2: That place was awesome.
0: And that's nice close.
2: I know. Yeah. So many things. Odd Fellows, you been there? Mm-hmm. The ice cream place? In New York, some of the best ice cream I've ever had. No kidding? We had a black olive, uh, a tajiaska olive caramel ice cream that was mind-blowing. Okay. No Mind blowing. Yeah. We had an Atla. Katz's, obviously. We did like the regular stuff. Katz's. Mm-hmm. Frankel's deli. Yeah. Probably some of the best babka I've ever had. It was a hardcore food
0: tour. Yeah. Hardcore. You should have done some Upper West Side um Jewish deli style. The, like Barney Greengrass. Never went there. Yeah. Zabar, Like the Upper West Side Jewish um like smoked fish and bagel sort of thing. It's got some real we freaking went to substance. The,
2: What's the most well-known known
0: smoked fish and bagel place? Uh, Russ and daughters. Yeah, yeah. We went there. Yeah, Russ and daughters, is fantastic. Yeah,
2: really good. So, what were we talking about before we started eating steak? And oh, who knows? Talking about random things.
0: Miami. How right now? Like, oh, it's yeah.
2: an interesting. It's an interesting time, right? Yeah, because it's like the community BC before COVID was on such an interesting upswing, right? So much young talent so many people doing good things obviously you have some of the people that like laid the foundation for us the michael schwartzes the michelle bernsteins sure hetty goldsmiths norman van akens like those people all like laid lots of foundation and then you had younger people doing their thing and the scene was looking great as so many other ones were before covid and now it's just this interesting like touch and go we're not totally sure what's going to happen next and where people are going to dine next and how what is going to be the different demographic that we're going to be dealing with. And then enters, like, the people from the north, right? Yeah. How will they affect our landscape? How will they affect the dining experience in Miami? And not just the restaurants, but just the diners, too. Because there's going to be a fuck ton of new diners, too. Sure. I mean, I know that Ariette's book, I check every morning when I wake up, and I can tell you that 70% of those people are from out of town. 70%. Wow! Yeah it's wild and beforehand it was not like that so I mean I'm grateful sure you know it's just an interesting space that we're living in you know so how we all navigate it and how it all kind of goes long term is going to be interesting to see see it play out.
0: Right and I think one of the most important thing that we as a restaurateur can adopt is flexibility and um, just adaptability Right, because honestly who was ready for COVID you know nobody was and I feel like if there's anything that this kind of a true vulnerability has um, taught us is um, vulnerability leads to, you know, improvement, right? Like evolution and our ability to adopt. And I think that's um, using the muscles that you haven't been using, you know, previously and discovering avenues of, you know, revenue stream or opportunities that didn't exist before. And instead of, like, just adopt, just welcoming it and just, just running with that ball and just touching it down. And I think that's uh, something that I really learned over the, the COVID environment.
2: I think the COVID thing really showed what people are made of. I know you've done a thing. Can you do other things? Sure. Can you adapt? Can you bob and weave? Can you, you know, like we have a, uh, we had a small concept down the street from here it was like 700 square feet and we actually demolished it it's gonna be like 3,000 square feet we're in the middle of building it but during the pandemic we took essentially what was a coffee shop with a large outdoor patio for dining yeah. we turned it into a market you can order your groceries we provisions would, we would bring it to you we yeah. would we were making pasta out of our pasta room here selling it by the pound we were s- awesome. making pickles selling them by the jar sure. we we're like it's like what our our uh, corporate pastry chef Devin Braddock was making bread I mean we have a bread program but not like that sure you know loaves of bread you know we. I mean it was crazy it was like what you have to dig deep now to see what you can really make of this because this is a fucked situation so it's like we can either you know kind of like lay down and say we've been beaten or we can figure it the fuck out and I think also on the other side of it it's kind of the same thing it's like we all have to adapt. We have to understand the world's going to be different. It's never going to go back to the way that it was. And if it was does go back, it's not going to be for a long fucking time. Sure. So how do we adapt now? That's the biggest question. And I right. keep telling people, have you adapted now? What are your plans to adapt? Even if you're opening a restaurant now, are you prepared to adapt to something that you weren't prepared for
0: before? Sure. It's a whole fucking... It's a whole thing. You know? A right. whole thing. And to, to, to me, that... Covid was actually an eye-opening, and it was actually a, a, you know, something that we learned so much. I mean, I never knew anything about, you know, airborne disease. You know, it was not something that I thought about. You know, right? I thought about how to cook the best steak and procure the best steak. But what I learned is really unique. So, you know, vapors, right? Like, let's talk about how Covid spreads. You know, it, right. it's a, it's about our saliva and vape. Uh, vapor that comes out when you're speaking and, and it gets transferred through there and before I never thought about that but I realized that in the middle of our table, I actually have a ventilation system that has a very strong CFM that actually sucks down so that if Mike, if you're talking to me there's actually a barrier that actually sucks all of the air wow. what you're fuming out into not just circulating it but to exiting you know? Wow, and that's something that I learned. So innately, coat was actually very COVID environment friendly concept. And so as I was developed, now we're opening Miami. So construction started actually May. So I actually this May, I actually had an opportunity to pull out, right? Because honestly, back in May, like Miami was not in a good place, right? Nobody was, right? So I had an opportunity to pull out and not put in the you know millions of dollars that I put in. But um. I doubled down on it, you know. So, we actually purchased an air handling unit. It's called um, DOAS. Yeah. It's like a dedicated outdoor air system. So, it's a it's a lot of money, you know. It's a half a million dollars instead of our pro, uh, system. So, what this does is, so A, we have a great exhaust that actually eject all the air in the middle of the table. But not only that, a lot of restaurants, conventional air conditioning system or indoor system, all kind of, um, because it's a has a certain amount of capacity, so you can't take all the hot air from outside and, and make it into cold. So what they do is they take cold air from inside. They recirculate it with uh, filtration. Mm-hmm. But we invested in this unit, uh, DOAS, which is Dedicated Outdoor Air System. So this is a high-efficiency unit that actually takes outdoor air, and it can take immediately take it into chill filter and pump it into uh, uh, indoor. So... Now, I have a great exhaust. I mean, if you think of it as a car, we have a good exhaust. Right. Now, I just invested in the best uh, uh, air intake. So, together, it makes it probably one of the most um, safest airborne illness um, indoor dining in possibly in, in America.
2: That's intense. Right. And you made that decision in May. Yeah. Wow. That's nice. I mean, it's it's one of those things that now when you go to build a new restaurant, it's all things, new things that you have to take into consideration, right? Because it's like, like I said, we're not sure where this is going to go or how long this is going to go or kind of like what's the next steps of this. So it's really just better to be prepared for it. Because like what you said, who the fuck was prepared for this in February? Nobody. Nobody. So how many seats is cooked?
0: Cote New York or Cote Miami? Both. Coat New York is about 100 seats. Coat Miami is going to be about 150. Oh, yeah.
2: All indoor or indoor outdoor? All indoor. All of it? Yeah. Wow. That is a lot of indoor dining. It is. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. How many square feet is the space? It's about 6,000 square feet. Oh, man. Yeah. Once you get over like 4,000, I start to get worried. Yeah. That's just the. That's me. It's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> like,
0: how many square feet is this? Indoor? Ariad.
2: Yes. Uh, and outdoor? Just. Uh, well, area itself, just the top level is twenty two hundred square feet, and then nave, just the uh, top floor. That's not including outdoor dining. It's thirty two hundred square feet.
0: Nice. So, so nave yeah. used
2: to be two spaces. We cut them in half. We had the building Let's cut see. them in half because I didn't want this was like one gigantic thing. This is going to be an event space eventually. We outdoor spaces. Oh man, it yeah. was fucking crucial. Like you know, imagine there was no indoor dining in allowed. So actually, Nave was closed. It just opened. I think it's been a month this week that it's been reopened. Uh, so area just took the whole patio. Yeah, it's the whole thing. We actually have a, a back patio we use for events as well. But it was a lifesaver, man. It sure. was a, a huge and like when it first began. We started doing our tasting series also that we did once a month. It was like 12 courses, whatever, the whole nine. And we did it all outdoors. And we only did 45 people a night. Sure. To make it like extra, sure. Extra by the lines, you know? But the outdoor dining really like it saved. Oh, yeah. Love it. That's Uh, going to be you pretty soon. It's going to be me pretty soon, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. What Uh, are you getting? A Harley. A well, deluxe. you got plans nope. to actually get something. You're yeah, not just yeah. learning. No, this that's is a
1: plan. Oh, this has man. all
2: been uh, premeditated. Are you secretly like 50 years old? <laughs> you having a midlife crisis right now? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he looks good right now. Yeah. And he's going to get a hurling. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's, I mean, why not, though? Hold on. Let's talk about that. Why not? Can you <laughs> no. explain to me why no, I no, shouldn't? No, it's, it's no, no. Tell me why I shouldn't.
1: No, I'm, I'm very happy for you. You, you absolutely should have. That's what you want to do. I just think I... Uh, in a way I just you know I'm I'm excited for you. But it's just it's funny that you're doing the uh the caddy.
2: Yeah. Well I had the, I've had the caddy for a year. You're right going
1: caddy Glock Harley in a space of like twelve months. Hold on, what's a caddy? I have a Cadillac. Not no, exactly.
2: it's a, it's el- elaborate. What? Yeah. God okay, fine. It's like it's like <laughs> yeah. I'm about to show you. This is all of my happening kids. very quickly.
0: I know, bro. Damn. Oh Cadillac you know. and Harley uh, Davidson? What are you? Fifty years? I mean how I'm <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, that's um, old men's. Uh, I made my life. It's cool, now, guys. So. Don't it say is. old men. Cool, cool, guys that's like but very I mean, cool, uh, very dude,
2: cool old guys. Get out of here, bro.
0: Yeah. Don't worry. Just
2: invite me to code. I'll, I'll roll up. I'll park it right Yo, in the front. Make give you a little, little ride right around the block. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> dude, that's, that's so beautiful. I know. Is it easy to find one of these? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to find, but one that actually runs and drives right. well is... I mean, this, I've had it for what, a year already? A- about, and it's only been on the road for four months. All the other times it's been in the mechanic under construction. Wow. So it's just like, I go back to our podcast with Danny Surfer a long time ago, and we always talk about like mental health. In the kitchen and the whole restaurant world. Stop. What are you laughing Danny
1: at? Danny Surfer's yo-yo is your 61 catalog.
2: Yes, it is. That's accurate. So Danny tells me, he was like, you know, Mike, you need to get a you need to get a hobby. And I was like, I have a hobby. I box, I train, I work. And he's like, you know, none of those are hobbies. I said, okay. So I found myself a fucking hobby, Nick. I don't know what's wrong with that. There's nothing wrong
0: with it. I I know, just... You're being very judgy.
2: No, no, not at know, all.
0: No, it's the same J word. We're jealous. Yeah. No, I, I wish. Cool. I,
1: I no. A, a huge part of me wishes I was doing all of these things. Yeah, me absolutely.
2: Too. Yeah, for sure.
1: Congra- okay. Congratulations is what I'm trying to say. You
2: only live one time. I yeah, agree. You're Yo, over here driving no. Cadillacs. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> you're talk- I don't want to use the thing, but yeah, we went there. <laughs> yeah. We said YOLO. I'll, I'll you're fucking yeah.
1: YOLOing people, and I'm talking into a ball tickler right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean you are on. talking that into a ball tickler. Yeah,
0: that is kind of cool.
2: It's your ball tickler
1: though, only for me. Mets in the COVID you know, era, you don't want to share.
0: Mess with the
2: beard and the must, you know. The there yeah. Uh, man, how do we totally, totally get off track again? There's, listen, there's nothing wrong. I know
0: how because the bike, oh, the rolled, rode
2: by, by and then Nick said that's going to uh, be me soon, yeah. and I said, sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. If it's, I spend enough time in Miami, I do want to get a Harley Chopper. Yeah, let's go, man. Let's go right. get one next week. Come right. on. Now I got to work out a little bit. I got to look, look the part before I. I mean, <laughs> you look good, man. When yeah, you trying to get cool. a work,
2: you come work out with me, seven a.m.
0: I'm, where, where do you work out? A
2: place called Mickey Demos Boxing Gym. Which is where? I got to tell you exactly. It's north. Like, north.
1: Mickey Demos, the email is advertising at Kong <laughs> <Pancom> Podcast.
2: <laughs> Mickey Demos. Mickey. Yeah, he true. could... I mean, listen. Mickey would actually be a good person to have on the podcast. It's an interesting background of boxing in South Florida and so on and so forth. So, uh... But yeah, I started boxing like two and a half years ago, and yeah. it's like my meditation slash workout sure. every day. So
0: I boxed for about three months at a Mendez gym in, in New York. In New York, yeah, I know. I know
2: that gym. I had a friend that went yeah. there too. Yeah.
0: The thing about boxing
2: is that it turns off all the conversations about other shit because you're just trying not to get hit. Sure. So it's like, you know. You have a couple of options. You can continue to be worried about all the other shit that's happening in your life, restaurant-related, personal-related, life-related, financially-related, or you could try not to get hit in the face.
0: Right. So I just want to just let it be known to everybody how sadistic in nature that is, right? So that's true. Instead of dealing with uh, all the stresses, I'd rather deal with the stress of getting punched (laughs) in the face. I love that, bro.
2: Yeah, I mean – And for me, I feel afterwards, I feel like a million bucks.
0: I actually know what you mean. That's the well, you know, because I've tried meditation. I just don't get it. Yeah. But boxing, I get that shit. Like, oh, speaking of meditation, I actually like meditation. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So how I see, you know, obviously I'm Asian once again. So meditation again, just to make sure, PSA. You know, it's kind of our thing. So how I view meditation is not some this holistic, some spiritual thing. You know, that's not how I view it at all. How I view it is, like, when you have your car, right, um, before you start the engine, you actually turn it halfway through. Yeah. And it goes ding, 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 and then it's self-assessed. Like, is the engine okay? Is if, the, it's,
2: if it's working, yeah.
0: Exactly. To me, that's what meditation is for me. So, in the morning, before I start, I just take, like, five to ten minutes, and I start breathing. Yeah. And close my eyes and basically take a time to kind of assess where I am at. Sometimes I feel a little fat. I move around. I feel like, oh, I'm extra fat. Then I actually don't eat fatty shit. Mm. I actually, like, try to go for the salad and whatnot. So I feel like when you give yourself in the morning, like, how you are doing, you know, we always ask, how are you doing, you know? Yep. We never ask how, we how, you know, we're doing ourselves, you know, oh, ourselves. that's a good, that's a good. I feel like that five to ten minute really kind of, um, you know, help, helps out. Assessing who, how I'm doing.
2: I like I like that a lot. Hopefully one day I can actually implement something like that. But it's interesting that you say, how am I doing? I think as a restaurateur, owner, thing, we fight so much for like the greater good of the company, the employee, the thing. And oftentimes it's like, you know, you ask, I, and especially this year I feel like even more so than any other year, you ask people how they're doing. How are you dealing? How is life? What's going on? So on and so forth. And sometimes you like look in the mirror and you're like, Fuck, man, how are you doing? Right? Sure. So it's it's an interesting perspective when you have to ask yourself that question. And sometimes you say to yourself, Man, I'm fucked up. It's been a real fucked up month or fucked up week or fucked up day. I don't fucking know. It's it's all like a I, I feel an, an interesting part of the restaurant business is like, you know, we give a lot and sometimes we do it for the romance, that thing, that moment—like I always talk about, like a moment in the restaurant that we're all fighting for, right? Like for me, it's like I'm working the pass. The food looks incredible. The restaurant is bumping. The music is loud. People are drinking, and it's like it's it's a singular moment that you're fighting towards, and you reach it, but then it's always trying. It's almost like a drug. You're always just trying to get back to it, trying to get back to that moment, trying to get back. Because
0: I'm not sure.
2: Me personally, I'm not like a table touch guy. I don't want to like talk to a bunch of people. I'm. Just, that's not my thing. Um, but that to me is like what I'm working towards. Like that thing. Everyone's having a good time. It's like controlled chaos because that's sure. what that's what restaurants are. Sure. They are controlled chaos. And it just feels right. You know, so it's always that fight for that thing.
0: I agree. And I think. Honestly, in the middle of pandemic, when we're going through when we're genuinely feeling. Fighting for our survival, you know, doing everything impossible to basically save one more manager on our payroll, you know. Right. During that time, honestly, like that self care didn't exist. You didn't know? exist. I actually I have uh, two beautiful children and a beautiful wife. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And my daughter's three. My son is a year and a half. And my wife basically had two kids in a year and a half of time, you know. Amazing. So a lot of hard times, but like, I sent all of my family to Korea because that's where their forks are. So I got to focus on, you know, fuck this right now. Right now, I got to like... Because I'm an all-in kind of guy. Yeah. I bet my life on this restaurant. You know, I don't have any savings. You know, like this, this is not some bougie shit. This is like literally betting your life and dub- doubling down with the restaurant closing and tripling down, you know, sort of a thing. And this successful restaurant was on the verge of uncertainty you know maybe it was going to go on there just like so many restaurants in new york city so during that time i sent them over to korea and i just literally fucking worked my ass off you know turning it into delivery yeah. you know sending you know steak care package to hawaii and all that crazy shit that i never thought i was going to be doing honestly during that time i didn't meditate i couldn't because if i asked myself how i'm doing i think i would have broken down yeah yeah you know what i'm saying Cause oh no i Hundred
2: percent understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, because it, it's one of those. It's, I and I've said this a lot too in the last like month because I'm not like a. We actually had an argument about this. I'm not a New Year's resolution guy. There's things I would like to do in the in the new year. We did have this conversation that you said it's a New Year's resolution, and I said it's not.
1: When when was this? Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, just, We did. It happened.
2: Yeah. But basically, one of my things was I'm tired of just surviving, and I want to live when you're trying to survive you're not living you know and like the whole last year of so many restaurants lives has been survival how can we make it to see another day how can we and then when you see another day what's the next course of action for that so it's like you're not planning because today is already done when you start the day you have your plan for the day you're going to attack the day you know the thing it's already done what are you going to plan for the next week the next six months the next two years because as a restaurateur you know You're always planning, right? You're planning how are we going to be more profitable? How are we going to, you know, structure our business better so our employees have a better quality of life? How are we going to... So many fucking things, right? And this year has been completely kind of like in that same vein, but it's all about how are we going to survive? It's a dark place to be in. Sure. And I think... And it's not just our industry, right? It's so many. Sure. I can only resonate with the one that I know and the one that you know, right? Absolutely. It's just – it's so fucking much, you know? And then when you talk about doubling down, like we – a little coffee shop that was 700 square feet that's now going to be an actual restaurant. Like, you know, we made that move in the middle of the pandemic. Signed four new leases in the middle of the pandemic. Woo! Bravo! And it's just like, you know, you're planning for the future. You're doubling down for things that hopefully one day will be good. And you, and it's, it's a fucking gamble because, like, at that point when all that shit was happening – People weren't even allowed to sit inside. Sure. <laughs> so it's like, so we're going to do what? But if not, if not
0: now, when? When you're comfortable? I don't know. You know what they call, call, call you? A guy with uh, balls of steels.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about a ball of steel. No, you're yeah, putting down so. millions of dollars in a place in May. Yes. In the middle of a pandemic. I think the restaurant industry is just a – it's a – it's a genetic thing that you just you're like you're a fighter. And you want to fight through things and you don't think you can lose. Sure. You don't think you can lose. Okay. And if and if you do get knocked down, you will get back up. Right. That's just part of the restaurant thing.
0: Especially when you have a great partners and great supporters and great most important great team, right? Cuz yeah. as great of a chef you are, honestly, what can you do without line cooks and a porters and you know, literally, and prep cooks. We
2: I mean, the team that we have here, I do not know where I would be without them. Oh. They are absolutely incredible. They have worked their fucking asses off. You know, like, Ariette reopened. We literally had uh, four cooks and me, you know, when we reopened. And it was like, it was f- not busy, but fairly okay. And for the style of food that we do, it was fucking tough. It was a lot of work. My chef de cuisine and my two sous chefs were working 14, 16 hours a day it was hard yeah. they were like we want everything to be better yeah. and that's just something that it's in them like because I get them like we can take things off the menu I don't want to I don't want to push because it's sure. not me right if it was me I remember when I was working saute every day it was like I'm okay with working 16 sure. hours a day just signed up for it yeah right but this is different Sure, you know for them it's different but they still they just wanted to push through it they wanted it to be better and they wanted to do all the things so oh dude get a steak. in.
0: I'm gonna save.
1: I'm gonna save the tip of this for Petey the dog. Who just the
0: tip for Petey, huh? Yeah, he's been. That's just sounds, the tip for sounds, Petey. I'm gonna finish the run. The boat. yeah, oh, get there in there, go. man.
2: Oh man, that's good. I'm glad. I, I when I when I talk to people that have that same, I feel good because it's wow. like, I think a lot of times too in the restaurant industry we're like, man, is, is it just me? Mm. Am I the only one that feels this way? Because also the restaurant business is not a place. That is okay with vulnerability or feeling uh, like you can, like, that you could take a fall, right? right? Like, you're not allowed to be vulnerable because it's such a tough, hard business. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kitchen is where I come from. So, it's like a very, like, it's, there's no, it's yes, chef, no, chef, and move on. Right. That's just the way that it works, you know? So, that, like, moment of vulnerability is so rare,
0: and I think that's that vulnerability is um, probably one of the biggest thing that I learned, how to deal with the vulnerability. In, in is I'm it would be a waste of um, pandemic, you know, if I didn't learn so much about the vulnerability. And one one of the things that I'm most grateful for is I, I've been always grateful for my team, but this time, you know, before I always. You know, try to be, you know, always try to be the formidable, the fearless leader who always was under, you know, like who knew three steps ahead, you know. At COVID, fuck that, right? You didn't know what the fuck hit, you know. We're all in this together, bro. Mike Tyson said it, right? Like, everybody has a game plan until Until you get punched punched in in the the face. face. Amen. And we got, we didn't get punched in the We got sledgehammered in the face, right? And I feel like we lost control and... All of my team, my core management team, all stepped up, you know, like, Simon, I'm behind you. And seeing that and feeling that amount of, like, support that, frankly, I didn't know it existed. I think I was the one that was pulling. Little did I know, I was actually being pushed by a formidable force that my team had. So it was a truly, like, I... I could not be more grateful for my team. Hence, that understanding that gratefulness through a pandemic. So as um, scary as this pandemic has been, I'm actually extremely grateful for it because it taught me how to be grateful to, even more grateful to the team that's been always there. You know, just ready to just just slay dragon. Yeah, know? I like that, to slay yeah. dragon. That's another
2: t-shirt. I hey. think. No, man.
0: There it is. I love hey, that. Hey, watch yeah. out. So I made this T-shirt for our um, – we went to Six Flags in the middle of a pandemic. So I put I this out. <laughs> Six Flags. I had to it give was, some pleasure to my team. And yeah. Was, um, there was nobody there. So I, ro- I rode Nitro, one of the best freaking roller coasters in the world, in Six Flags in New Jersey. I rode it like four times back-to-back.
2: Wow. Yeah. That is a gambler. there was however. no one there. So. You know, the interesting thing I've learned about – leadership and management and i think they go hand in hand you know there's a saying that cream rises to the top and that is accurate you know like your best people that really believe in the thing because it's not just believing in you right it's you got to believe in the whole thing believe in the food believe in the space believe in the concept believe in the company all of that um as in the positions that we are a lot of times we end up leading from behind and pushing them forward and sometimes it's vice versa. Sometimes they pick you up and they push you forward. And it's just like that is what leadership is, understanding what the team needs at a certain time and pushing them in that direction. Sometimes they need tough love. Sometimes they need a fucking hug. Sometimes they need to go out for a drink. Sometimes they just need to talk. Right. It's, it's like a thing. It's just like it's ever evolving. And, it, you know, I'm young. You're young. Nick, you're still young.
1: I don't feel young. Okay, I'm not driving a caddy or shopping for Harley's. I was just about to say.
0: Says the guy who's got a Harley and a, a caddy, bro. <laughs> Hold on, let's yeah. call out
2: everyone's age here. How old are you? Thirty-eight. Okay, thirty-three. So I, I'm 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 middle here, right? So you're the youngest. I'm middle, and then you're the oldest. Mm-hmm. So. I'm the
1: heaviest, most caddyless man at this <laughs>
0: table. <laughs> I don't got a caddy, so we're the yeah. yeah, hairiest a, man. We'll, too, we'll make all, a shirt for that. All there, here. no caddy. I'm not the <laughs> guy with the caddy. Yeah.
2: It's like, um, I don't know. I I feel like I've learned so much about not just like leading, but understanding people in this like 12 months because people have been fragile. As much as we've pushed through it, and I think that, you know, we've done like amazing work. People have struggled through all that. And they have, it's always like a mask, right? It's a mask. People are like tough. Because in this business, you're not allowed... You're, a lot of times you're not allowed to be vulnerable. That moment of vulnerability is almost like looked down upon. And here I tell people the complete opposite. Tell me what's happening and how I can help you and how, how can we together navigate through this. And I think that's what real leadership is, especially sure. now. Especially now. And then the other part is, are there people at your table that are willing to look at you and say, how are you doing? Are sure. you okay? I'm fortunate enough that I feel like I have those people at my table.
0: Sure. You know, so. Beyond, you know, beyond. I think um, it's it's like before, you know, I'd be the first one to admit as a leader, you always kind of think about how am I leading? How am I? You're always kind of caught up in your self-critical self-assessment. How can I do better? You know, uh, but this pandemic kind of really kind of taught me this shit, it's not about you. It's not about me. You know, it really is about all of us, right? Yeah. And I'm nothing without my team. And together, like, 1 plus 1 is actually not 2, you know? Maybe 1 plus 1, maybe 2.2. 2. Maybe there's some little bit of a, a error. But actually, 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1, plus one can actually equate to fucking 45. Hmm. So it doesn't make any mathematical, you know, I'm an Asian guy, but it doesn't make (laughs) (laughs) it. Mathematically, that doesn't work. But you know what? That's where the romance comes into play, right? It's the magic, you know? Like, I believe in magic. Yeah.
2: It's the moment. It's like, it's the team and it's always like, I always feel like we're just a couple notches away from chaos right like we're almost there but the team is all working in unison and all working so hard to keep it under control yeah and that's why i say it all the time i you know i grew up in kitchens that people would tell you all the time is like you know you are replaceable you can be replaced i do do not believe that theory I think a function can be replaced. And what I mean is like you are the Garmo cook tonight. But what that certain Garmo cook, that human being brings to that station. Sure. That personality, sure. that thing cannot be replaced. Sure. The function can be replaced. Sure. It is the people that make the place and not the opposite. The people make the place special. Right. And then the space will accept it. Sure. So it's just, you know, like you said. Several ones could equal 45. Right. And that's how I think that's really magically what makes great restaurants work. You know, I dined at a, a linea like three years ago. Sure. And it's this incredible like show of perfection. The whole thing. And from however you feel about it, whether you like the food or you don't like the food, or you like the drink or you don't like the drink, however you feel about it, it's an incredible movement of perfection. And all the bodies there are there for like a certain reason. And they're there for a certain function. My issue with spaces like that is that the soul sometimes is not always there. Sure. The personality is not always there. So I struggle to find what it, who is this restaurant and what is it trying to tell me. Right? For great restaurants, I think they tell you something. Sure. And a place like that, that is so structured to be perfect, the imperfection sometimes is what I find special about places. Because the imperfection lies in the human aspect of things. Because no, per- no human being is perfect. So it's like, it just goes back to that statement. It's the people that make the place, not the place that make the people. Sure. You know, and it's teamwork is, I think, the resounding thing. It's like every chef, every fuck face chef on the planet that says that they are like the number one and they have the biggest ego, they can't even walk through a fucking door, right. realize if their whole team walks out, they're not shit. Sure, They are nobody. I don't care how good your fucking food is. And the same thing for anyone working in the front of the house. Same for every restaurateur you
0: want to come in and barrel down on everyone.
2: It's just not realistic, man. Sure. It's not. Your team is what makes it.
0: Right. And on that note, I think that's exactly what I strive for. So with Coat, we never want to be more than what we are now. I mean that in um, we will always continuously, you know, try to become more excellence, you know, add, add the dose of more excellence, evolve, do things that we do every day, just one day better, just a little bit better, a little bit better. But that being said, I think innately as a DNA, let's say if a 4.0 is the highest grade that you can get, you know, 3.5 or 3.6, um, I was not very academic. Is that still a 3.6? I Nick? GPA three point six. Is Nick is, right? the acad- I, is the no, academic. No, I was actually
1: a two point something student. Uh, but but you know, in the I, I, I want to say that's a that's a B B plus
2: ish. That's still. So what is A? It's still pretty solid. What is that? G- three point seven five. G-
1: generally four. I think, unless no, the scales have changed. No, but know. it's, no, it's, a, it's a and A minus. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, a, there's A
2: there's A plus A and then A minus.
1: But I think well I don't know if everybody's done this but I think a lot of people did away with minuses. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: So What is A
1: plus then? would be like 4 or 5 or two five.
2: Oh so it's over a 4. Right. Yeah, this yeah, seems okay. wrong. All right, so let's Let's, uh, let's go all let's all scratch it. Let's whatever, whatever the no, meaning. No, no, let's let's start, start with the, the I can, I think I can, I can stick to this. So, okay.
0: let's say let's say there are three Michelin star restaurants that's striving for 4.5. Okay. A plus, right? A plus. It's fantastic. I love going to those restaurants to really get a dose of that excellence, you know? But what I strive to do is I want to create an environment where my employees can actually be themselves. You know, you don't have to push yourself to 110% every day. You know, as much as that's, I respect it so much. I love to go into those restaurants once in a while to really kind of experience it. But honestly, if I'm spending so much time with my people, I feel like what I strive to do, achieve is I want to achieve 90%. I feel like 90% completion, the excellence, is still, you know, naturally top 10%, right? Like you're, right. You're, you're at 90%. So I feel like at 90%, you can have the sense of excellence that people really kind of feel it. You can feel the excellence. But you don't feel so, so much so that where you feel like you're at a hemisphere where you feel a little uncomfortable. Rigid. Yes.
2: Stay like uh, the way I always explain. Some of those places is sterile, right? Like there, it's just so clean. You know, when I walk into a space, I, I, there's so many things that I look at from top to bottom. I look for what's not perfect, right? And say, how did they get by with it not being perfect? And there's right. so many reasons why they could or could not get by with it not being perfect. And sometimes I find it's like what may make the space special. You know, the fact that maybe, like, uh, the soundproofing wasn't done super well, so it's a little loud in here, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's like, you know, the floor has got, like, a little divot here, and I'm okay with that. It's like... I don't know. There's so so many things that go into it that make a space really special. Like, one of my favorite meals in recent memory is when I ate at um, Rustic Canyon in Santa Monica. And... You know, it was a very, like, organic environment. Sure. But the food was incredible. And then a year later, they got their first Michelin star. That's awesome. And they deserved it. Andy DeBrava and Jeremy Fox are obviously two of the best chefs in the country. Jeremy's been one of the best chefs in the country for 20-plus years. So the fact that in that environment, that it was small and a little tight and so on and so forth, they got a star... It made me believe that we can get one, and so many other places like us can get one and deserve
0: to have one. I honestly think Florida should have a Michelin Guide. I mean, yeah, me too. (laughs) I'm not even joking. I think um, honestly, if um, uh, uh, Mayor Francis and mayors, oh
2: man, they're all listening. Podcast talk
0: about those guys. No, 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 there is. Yeah, I mean, but um. Because we need government assistance, right? Because, um, I mean, I consider whether Miami accepts me or not yet, but um, I consider myself as a Miami uh, restaurateur now, you know? I'll tell so, you.
2: Yeah. The real people to engage here is the GMCVB, right? What is the, that? The GMCVB, the Greater Miami Business, blah, 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 it's blah. It's the
1: Greater Miami Convention and Visitors Bureau.
2: Right. Those people that are, are the ones that can engage the guide, yeah. They need to get the mayor and elected I agree. They're the ones that engage the guide to get them yeah. here. Now, the guide needs to be paid to come here. Sure. Just like they're paid everywhere else hey, to somebody's go. Somebody's got
0: to pay for it. What? Somebody's got to <laughs> pay for
2: all those meals that they're about to have. Yes. It's one of those things that we need their help to do it. Yeah. But instead of, and this is why I'm obviously not their biggest fan, they waste their time talking about like Miami Spa Month or the Miami Spice menu. And shit, that's basically the dollar menu. We are not the dollar menu, bro. Right. We are this place. Is much more special than those things, so that's why, you know, I run that restaurant. Like it's adequate enough to get one star. Right. That is the way we train for service. That is the way we prepare our food. That is the way that we prepare our minds. Right. Even if we know we're not going to get one because right. there is no guide here. Sure. That shit does not matter to me. Right. I'm not here in it for chips. I'm here in it. Hundred percent. This is what we do it for. Sure. You
0: know, but are there other restaurants in the city that do deserve stars?
2: Absolutely, right.
0: I think so too. And and I'm actually f- genuinely falling in love with food culture of Miami, especially the love newer here. movement. We we talked about Itamae too, right? In the, the design district, the Nikkei cuisine, the vibrancy, the color, the presentation, and kind of like the lighter vibe. You know, it's yeah. a much lighter vibe. And I think there's um now be like there is actually genuinely world-class cuisine that is evolving here you know like yep. miami and and something that i also would personally would love to see more is miami is a port city i mean we're right next to the water but in terms of um all the seafood that's being caught you know and also we're so close to gulf of mexico i mean which is one of the biggest fisheries in the world right so i feel like there's You know, there's a huge, tremendous movement that's taking place here that needs to be celebrated, that needs the recognition. And more, even more is I'm more excited about, like, next 5, 10 years. What's about to happen here? Like, the world of um, the culinary gastronomia needs to pay attention here right now. Yeah. Is the menu here different than the menu in New York? Yes. How? So, honestly, right now, we're all R&Ding, like, Crazy right now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we have a very short amount of time. In fact, I actually need to uh, finalize the menu by Sunday. So we're going to print everything. That's soon. So, but my mission to my chefs were so obviously we're a steakhouse. So, and we have a butcher's feast, which is the main driver, right? So, four different cuts of different uh, different beef with vegetables. That's not going to change so much, right? Because that's our main driver. But um, appetizer wise, I want to really kind of focus on the local products, right? Especially fish is what I'm really, really excited about, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's almost mind-boggling that there's not so much of seafood culture, despite, I mean, given the fact that abundance of so much um, uh, 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 seafood here. So we are really trying to procure as much um, of available seafood, local mm-hmm. seafood, and try to incorporate that. So... We want to have a, a great version of ceviche, you know, a little bit of a gochujang and whatnot to to have our take on uh, local product produce, prod, uh, local fish as well as all the uh, vegetables as well. So right now we're in the thick of it, you know. Uh, so chefs are, you know, finally we got our, our refrigeration working. So it's a uh, it's Ooh, getting packed. Man, and we're... refrigeration
2: is key. So it's interesting you talk about seafood a lot because I've. I've talked about that a lot with my chefs too. Is that, albeit we are where we are, really we're boiled down to like just four or five fish, and it's like some of them are super hyper local, and then and then when they fish them very heavy, they ship them north because sure. people pay more money for them. Exactly. So like pompano, which I love, you know, you can get farm raised pompano here, which is still a very good product. Mm-hmm. Not as good as the wild stuff, yeah. but it gets all gets shipped to Canada. Right. All of it, all of it, all of it, all of it, which is crazy to me. Um, you know, obviously, the majority of things you'll get here, Yellow toe Snapper, both Red and Black Grouper. Sure. Um, which are all super tasty. Uh, tilefish, which I love, but, I mean, Tilefish is not cost-effective because it's like 40% head, so it's sure. like you lose, your yield is so little. Um, And then you can get into like Northern Florida where you get some black bass and the black bass is delicious. Then you go to the Gulf yeah. and then you can get some stuff there, but it's actually just like more grouper, bigger, more succulent stuff. I feel you get from the Gulf, but you'll get Cobia, but then the more, yeah, the more consistent Cobia is going to be the farm-raised Cobia always, um, Wahoo, but like, again, it's just very inconsistent. You know, we have a seafood restaurant and it's, it's a struggle, you know, um, even for, like, Arietta was... This is, again, when you have, like, the romance thing. Yeah. It's like, I'm never going to get anything for that's not from South Florida. Mm-hmm. And we did that for such a long time. That's awesome. The years that it was just, like, me behind the line every day is like, no, I mean, we're not going to serve scallops. We're not going to serve shrimp. We're not going to... And after a while, I just had to give in because sure. it's like we had just, like, one fish dish, and I needed more of them. You know, like, it was just grouper, or it was just snapper, or it was just tilefish, you know? We'd have a ceviche with Kobe or whatever, but I needed to, like, broaden our thing a little bit. Sure. So I started bringing in some stuff from Samuel and Stuns up north and um, some stuff from Brown up north and getting caviar from yeah. up north
0: and scallops. Just Big Bay also has a, has a great, yeah. Call I mean, Eastern, even, yeah. even
2: like, you know, Florida has clams. Like, Florida sure. clams are good, but they're not as good as some other clams. You sure. know, it's just it's, – it's a very interesting thing. Like, you have to really pick and choose where you want to fight that battle because yeah. – Fortunate that I've worked with some really great local fishermen. Oh. But at the same time, you know, it it's, it's a struggle, too, because here's the thing. Let's say you put on the menu Cobia, right? Wild caught Cobia. And then you go into a Friday night, you order Cobia, and you text your fish guy, I need 70 pounds of Cobia whole, whatever. And then they only had 20 pounds because it's the wild stuff. And then they're going to pull they're gonna pull the farm race stuff and the only reason you know the difference is because it comes without the head on it but they would tell you that it's wild you know what i mean like it's just like a it's a very interesting situation too because also in miami it's always like pay to play there's restaurants that'll be like i'll pay you a dollar more shit i've done it what right. to make sure i get my fish i'll pay you a dollar more to make sure i get my fish right you know
0: it's just like it's it's tough it's really, but I feel really like tough. all those competitions and, and dollar more, as you know, initially can be a kind of a viewed as faux pas. But I think honestly, it's a good for the good for the whole, right? Because I'm good with it. If, if I did it, if everyone <laughs> is paying dollar more, then customer eventually will have to pay few dollars more, and the fishermen will actually make more money, and they're more incentivized to, you know, um, you know. Obviously, with the sustainability in mind, right, we need to be responsible about how we fish. But um, personally, I feel like the seafood consumption in Miami of local fish, if that grows, because it doesn't make sense that the majority of fish goes to Disney World and and cruise lines. Oh, because they do. Right, and and honestly, as much as 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 much as I have great respect for those establishments, honestly, I don't think they can really represent the fish and the freshness and the flavors, the terroirs of the world. Right, um, as good as you can, you know right. uh, that. So I think, but that movement, I think, is happening. Right, like you're seeking dollar more, and farmers are trying to uh, uh, see, um, the fishermen start to realize, you know what, this is a real opportunity. Right, and to them, dollar more is everything, and I think that celebration of local produce is um local product is literally everything
2: well it's like well you you actually just said it but i i made a, a hard turn i'd say three years ago and i always focused on it but i wanted to focus on it even more which was local produce like vegetables greens everything that was local like really highlight that as much as i could and again it was something that when we opened, you know, I, I never used the word farm to table because it's very like faux pas. Like everyone uses it. Like that's just the way we should work. Um, what
0: what produce is not from farm? Right. And what doesn't end up in the table?
2: Right. <laughs> So it's just like that, to me, it's almost like natural wine. It's turned into a marketing thing instead of, like, an actual thing that you believe sure. in. Like, natural wine now is like, we have orange wines. Like, every motherfucker's got orange wines at this point. Like It's
0: like you know, organic. The stamp, I, I've, right? I've actually
2: adopted the opposite. Like, I don't want any because I want to be sure. different than all the people that have because everyone has it now. So, um, anyways, produce to me, I felt like affected our local economy much more. Um, like feeding into the local farmers as much as I could. And I've, always, I've had relationships with them for almost a decade. So, you know, like them growing things for us and like weird things that they know that no one will buy, but I'll buy it to yeah. try to make something sure. out of it. Like I feel like the opportunity there is huge, especially, that you know, like for you guys that it's all like steak and veg. Sure. Like that's such a big opportunity that you could double down on because like New York, right? Like New York has an incredible growing season. Like, the West Coast has an incredible growing year. Like, their shit is just fucking growing 10 months out of the year. It's wild. But we have such a special thing here because of where we're located on the equator, right? Like, the kind of um, what we can grow here is so varied. Like, we can get uh, Hakuri turnips, but we could also get mame mangoes, um, jackfruit. Like, we can get all these varied things. And for so long, when I was a younger cook, it was just like, oh, we have nothing to cook with. We have lots of shit to cook with. So much. You just got to fucking figure out how to use it. Sure. So I've always found that as like a very, on our menus, like in the summertime, when a lot of people kind of fold, I feel like we doubled down. Like we made soup out of mame, We made uh, carpaccio out of jackfruit. We've done like so many things that for people may seem weird, but to me, they just kind of made sense. And here in this environment, it made a lot of sense. Right. So... I think the locality of things is what can identify, like, quote, New York to here. Sure. And as that evolves, because, like, how often do you guys really change the menu? Uh,
0: just seasonally, probably yeah, yeah. Uh, four times a year. Four not times so much. a month. But opportunity to open a restaurant in Miami is a huge opportunity to do that, right? Because we actually don't want to recreate what we did in New York identically in Miami at all. You know because there's um, that'd be very boring. You know, what we want to do is we want to learn, we want to adopt, and actually become a better version of code by coming. You know, so yeah. and we learn so much about the product, and maybe we can even change the menu in New York because we learn so much from here. You know, I think and it, that's yeah,
2: it's something that always interested me. Like, I have a friend in uh Cleveland, and I've like. Before I went there five years ago, I had no fucking idea what Cleveland was like. I mean, it's Cleveland, Ohio. But the produce there is so interesting. So every year we talk and I'm just like, what can I send you? and What can you send me? So like sometimes they'll send me berries. Sometimes they'll send me apples and I'll send them a May, I'll send them mango. I'll send them whatever. You know, he's like incredibly weirdly creative. So the shit that he comes up with is incredible. When you're given an opportunity to work with some different stuff, that's literally the only reason I went to Cleveland to do a dinner with him. It's like, what do you have here? Like, I had never seen an apple on a tree in my life. Yeah. Not until I was 33. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Never. Uh, shameless plug for
1: our, our <laughs> August 19th, 2019 episode with Chef Brett Sawyer of The Plum in
2: Cleveland. The Plum and Good Company. And Good Company. Yeah, don't. Come on. If you're going to plug it, plug it right. Come on. <laughs> um, You know, it's just like it was such an opportunity. Like, we we went. We, what a trip. We actually We rode. To this uh, apple farm We smoked a ton on the way there By the time we were there We were super baked And it was like We just drove through This field of apples And it was like They made their own cider We're like We want to make cider jelly And just like It was like It honestly was something For me that was so special Because I had never Experienced that before Until I was 33 Sure So Must be a shock Yeah It was a shock I was like Apples are on fucking trees They're not in a supermarket Or in a box This is wild So and then, honestly, and I'm sure you're gonna test to this too, is like there's nothing like having that product fresh and real. Is there's nothing like it. Right.
0: And I think that goes into kind of terroir thing, right? So, not sure if you knew, but coat uh, is actually a Korean word. You know, obviously it's a French word for you know coast or slope or whatnot, like coat de boeuf, coat roti, but coat d'or. But, coat in Korean means flower. My first restaurant in West Village was um, uh, Piora, which meant um, blossom in Korean, Piora. So the, what came after the blossom is the flower. So significance of flower is, you know, a lot of people, when they see flower, they just see a flower. Yeah. But what they don't understand is there's a root and there's a plant, the entirety. And it, and it happens to blossom once, right? What they only see is just the flower. But a flower is just a byproduct of the roots and the earth and the cycle of life, right? So whenever we go to a new location, and this is our first attempt, you know, we want to actually put our roots down into that place, right? Which means that we should incorporate what grows in this planet, I mean, this earth, you know, the Miami, Florida earth, you know, so as much as, I mean, right now we're chasing for time, so... Um, so i 'm not going to go ahead and say our opening menu is going to be so Miami whatnot it 's going to take oh, a little bit of time you got know? it takes time like any plants you know it needs at least six to one year, six months to one year until it can fully kind of become localized
1: I, 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 I want to throw in here, uh, especially because i 'm sure if if Carlubo were here he 'd want to throw it in here <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know whether this is a story that you 've been told, but Miami only exists as it does. Because of a flower. So the whole story is, you know, Flagler, uh, Flagler, the street is named for Henry Flagler, the the railroad developer who, yeah. who brought people to Miami. Sure. And Julia Tuttle, who founded the city, convinced him to the story is, at least that she convinced him to bring his railway into Miami, which led to the flourishing of Miami by mailing him in the dead of winter an orange blossom.
0: No shit. It's like, hey.
1: This is what we have going on down here. While you all are freezing, here's a fresh orange blossom in the middle of the winter. And he was like, okay, I'll take my railroad yeah. down there.
0: That's so beautiful. And, and just let's just say it the way it is. Uh, the, the northern people, where I come from, like during the winter, God gave us winter, but God also gave us Florida sunshine. So yeah. we actually genuinely consume so much of citrus from here to oh, sustain yeah. ourselves. Oh, throughout Florida the orange is something sadness special. Sadness of winter. I'm,
2: I'm just like observing this because this is our first time. We're new, right? But, um, I think something that's special about restaurant tours is how we find things that have deep rooted significance to us, and we may only know them, and we'll share them. But it's not like common knowledge, sure. You know, like what area it stands for, what your restaurant stood for, the reason why our hammer has uh, flowers around it. You know, is because there's. Uh, Ariad stands for battering ram Right Breaker down of doors We felt like That was something that was very big for me Six years ago Is that I felt like Cuban cuisine Or uh, The trajectory of what Cuban American cuisine would be Needed someone to break down those barriers So people could Start to Look at us differently We're not just white rice and black beans We're a lot more than that But within all that Kind of destruction There is a lot of beauty There's a lot of growth So So Talking about growth and, like, how you were talking about a menu, you know, like, I struggled so much for the first – this is my first restaurant. So, like, I struggled so much. And the first time that I was on my own without, like, a chef that had won several James Beard Awards and whatever working over me telling me pretty much what to do every day, Um, it took two years for this menu to really gain its footing and for it to be not just really good but who I am, you know? So I I think it's almost foolish for someone to think of – a restaurant that actually has meaning to somebody. Because there's concept restaurants, right? That you cookie cut and you open and it's like you you know, you wipe your hands and you walk away. Sure. It is what it is. But things for like individual restaurant tours that have meaning, they take time to grow. So your day one experience won't be your you know, eighteen month down the road experience or six month down the road or whatever. Things evolve and they grow. Sure. I mean Area was has only really, it's been open for five years, but it's only been the restaurant I wanted it to be for three. Yeah. Because the first two years, I was very much like soul searching of like, who is it that I want to be? Who right. do I want this restaurant to be? Start with big dreams, but you realize like, there's a lot more than just cooking. The romance ends rather quickly. Right. You know,
0: when there's monthly P&L meetings. Right. I agree. And I think. I think you might be able to associate it with this, I mean, relate to this. So I, was, I came to America when I was 13 years old, just as a complete Korean person, um, and, and assimilated. And fast forward 10 years, when I was in mid-20s, I had a huge identity crisis, you know. When I go to Korea, my motherland... They didn't see a Korean person. They're like, "Oh, that's an American guy. That's a Gringo, right?" Right. Just uh, the guys that uh, they look like me, but they, they they didn't accept me because I was American. And I come back to America, my home, and they're like, "You're not American. You're Korean." Right. right. So it's like I don't fit in anywhere. You know, I feel like for you know my entire twenties, I was just trying to figure out who I am, what I am, and then it, it took me a while, but. You know, through code, I really realized who I am. I don't need to be the authentic Korean. No, I don't need to be an authentic American that I'm not, you know, authentic Korean that I'm not. I am Korean American. Right. I understand American culture better than any Koreans can ever understand. And, and, I understand and,
1: and, in, and in some ways, you understand American culture better than a lot of Americans.
0: Exactly, because I saw it from the, the outside and now I'm completely in and i understand korean culture better than any american can possibly do because that's right. where i was born and raised so that kind of and then once i realized that what made me so insecure about my identity actually became the strongest identity and once that happened i felt like that's when genuinely i put my wings that i always had i just never knew it existed and i started practicing how to fly and then muscles started to develop. And now, you know, I'm very humbled and grateful to say, now I feel so confident about this is who I am. There's nothing fake about it. There's nothing pretentiousness about what I'm doing. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, sell Koko uh, Vong as if I grew up with that stuff, you know? Like, no, I'm selling Korean steak. This is who I am. And I feel like, you know, like a lot of aspiring restaurateurs, you know, all try to figure out like, which beat to kind of rap to. But the beat exists in you. And if mm-hmm. you're rapping to your own beat that, you know, beats inside of you, I feel like that's genuine, that's sustainable. And you can do this shit for rest of your life without any and any hater who doesn't like it. Well, guess what? Go fuck yourself. Okay?
2: I, Amen <laughs> to that. I,
1: I wonder, and, and Mike, I would love for you to kind of expand. Because I, I know that, well, I don't know, but I would guess that there's a lot of what... Uh, Simon just said, that resonates with you in, in some kind of way?
2: I mean, uh, 150%. But I, I,
1: I, I wonder, Simon, if you could expand a little bit on on the intermediate steps, right? Because before you got to where you are now, I, I wonder what what some of the versions of that understanding of your culture were and how they were expressed. in um, uh, Miami is sort of a, a different animal, right? Because not only is it a very Hispanic city, but it's also a city of Hispanics that were driven from other places. So you have Cubans who fled a government there, Nicaraguans who fled a government, Venezuelans who fled a government, rather than people who just sort of saw opportunity or made a choice that was kind of, eh, you know, a six one way, half dozen the sure. other. And so um, there's, there's this saying that I heard a lot. And maybe you heard some of it too, Mike, uh, when, because we both left Miami for college. Oh. Uh, that when, when the Cuban kid leaves Miami, all of a sudden, he's more Cuban than palm trees.
2: That's true. Yeah.
1: Uh, and so you sort of, when when you're no longer taking it for granted, you're suddenly like, you're the Cuban, you're the Cubanest man on the planet. Yeah. Like, you love coffee more than anybody. You're the croqueta master. Mm-hmm. You're all these things. And that's sort of, I think, I see it, and I think you probably see it too, given the way that it's expressed itself at Ariad and, and all these things, as kind of an intermediate step before a more nuanced understanding so what did that look like for you as you sort of and it's also different because you were born in korea as you came to understand your cultural place in the world and how did that express itself kind of in that in between time
0: honestly in between time was more struggle than anything else right i think um if i can turn turn back in time and if i can talk to myself uh, during that time, is I'll tell myself, hey, um, just enjoy the process, right? Because, um, but it's I guess it's, um, it's you know things always look better when you're looking back, right? Yeah. Um, it's such a struggle, but but I think it's so important to enjoy that process, right? It's so uncomfortable, it's so insecure, but during that, like just like a flower, I you know, coat is flower, so I keep mentioning like. In order for flower to blossom, it needs to go through the winter, right? Like, hey, maybe not in Florida, but um <laughs> but um all the we have cold days. Yeah, cold I, days. I
1: have a fire pit in my backyard for when it drops that below sixty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I like my blood has been thinned when it goes to sixty. I'm like, oh my god, it's so yeah, cold. it's gold. Yeah, jeez. But um that's honestly I think that struggle is what makes flower so beautiful, you know? I think um you know, especially nowadays, it's all about how to avoid um, hardship and how to avoid the sadness, how to avoid all those things. But um, honestly, I don't think, um, you know, this COVID-19, that, the sledgehammer that, that hit me in the face, you know, I don't think I would have been able to endure that if I didn't have that struggle and that, like, adversity and things that you thought that it was unfair. I mean, COVID is totally unfair. How can you you know a government single single-handedly close our industry and don't have a relief program to re, you know help that out you know it's right. just completely unfair but quite frankly unfair is the name of the game right? right so and i lived that my all my life you know as an asian man in managing a fine dining restaurant in new york city even new york city there's a lot of um you know racism and you know judgment and things and i feel like i've swam against the the current the entire life and honestly i feel like that built the muscles now during you know global pandemic that muscles all came to use and i feel like that in between time right before the flower finally blossoms you know the the struggle i feel like without that the flower is actually meaningless you know the money that you make is also just a quick money i feel like that hard that shit that really that you wake up to a pain and you sleep to pain, I feel like looking back, I feel like that was literally the only source of, um, you know, the fertilizer that allowed the flower to blossom. And dare I say, with most humble heart, you know, I'm very grateful that I went through all of that. Now that, you know, I'm in a better place. I feel like that was everything. Mm.
1: So I want to ask you, Mike, a similar question. Uh, And but before, just because this came up earlier in the conversation, and we did a little bit of comparison of New York and Miami and the racial dynamic, I think as you spend more time here, this is not to say that Asian culture uh, is as prominent in Miami as it is in New York or certain other parts of the country. But I think as you get to know the city more, you'll find these interesting little pockets. Uh, Especially of People who are Descended from the Various Asian migrations To Latin America Sure Right uh, Itamai is a good Is a good example Sure Uh, The Cuban population In 58 and 59 uh, Cuba I want to say Was like 10% Chinese immigrants No shit Uh, My great grandfather Was Chinese no uh, I look more like my mom But my yeah. dad's side My dad has ten brothers and Or nine brothers And all of them Are nicknamed Chino <laughs> uh, And my favorite story About that is I, uh, Some co-workers of mine uh, In my last job Had been uh, Having lunch At a Chinese restaurant And kind of jokingly You know Or not jokingly Just sort of like Without even thinking about it Asked their waiter Without thinking like Oye como esta And the waiter Was Chinese and before they could correct themselves and say it in English, the waiter comes back. Nah, bro, de aquí pinchando un domingo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you know, in this yeah, very right, Cuban right. Spanish, Yeah, just working on a Sunday, man. Right. You know how it is. Uh, so I think the more time you spend here, the more you'll find some of that Asian yeah. culture and influence in these unexpected places, even if it's sort of a step right. removed, right. you know, because uh, Latin America, it's a, it's a quarter right. of the globe. You know, and and it has its own experience of Latin American migration that has then rippled into, uh, into the U.S. But Mike, I wanted to ask you because I think Simon will have there, there might be some interesting bounce around here. A similar question, right? Because we've talked a bit here about like the evolution of of how you've expressed yourself in food. Yeah, but maybe not in these explicit terms. So, like, what did that intermediate point look like where you were still kind of figuring it out, like what it means to? put your experience of being Cuban on a
2: plate? You know, I think a lot of it had to do with uh, breaking away from the mold of, like, just always being what someone else wanted me to be, right? So I came from a place that I actually worked worked for a guy from New York. And our chef owner was Michael Schwartz. And we did that for three years, and it was tough. I mean, he ran... Great Italian and French restaurants for a long time. And uh, it was a tough kitchen to work in. And all the stuff was like classic French or classic Italian. And then Michael obviously was tough too. And before that, I worked for Norman Van Aken. So it was always like big names that equated to, you know, yes, chef, no chef and move on. And, you know, like, which is part of the gig, you know. But in that time, like, you don't have a second to think about like what your mission really is. So the day that Ariette opened, it was the menu was good, but it was also very like confused into who it really was because what it was was an extension of those things. It wasn't really myself having a conversation with a diner, you know. So over the two years, and then I, I think it really came. The, the make or break moment was in year two, rolling into the weekend, negative ten grand in the bank account. And knowing that payroll was due the following week, and saying, like, if if I'm going to do something, I'm at least going to go out and be exactly who I should be. And, I mean, it was a fight or flight mentality. I don't know. We had a great fucking weekend. We made it out of the weekend. We paid payroll, and I'm fortunate that I have a great <laughs> I have a great business partner that you know helped guide through the whole thing. Um, and you know it was like and at that point I was like fuck it we're just going to keep on fighting this fight like I'm going to not only am I going to be who I am but I'm going to embrace who I am and that is going to be who we are cuz like to your point there was there's so many times in Miami right that people are trying to be like something from somewhere else sure follow the beat to your own drum be who you are right realize how special you are as a cook, as a person, as a human, it doesn't really Amen. matter. And then follow that. Because my thing here is, like the fooded area, it's kind of weird sometimes. I don't think it's weird. But people are just like, oh, you know, it's, he keeps it a little weird or, or whatever. I don't, for me, it's what makes me feel. So it's not weird, yeah. you know? But at the same time, I don't give a fuck if you don't sure. like it. If you don't, if it's one of those things that like you don't appreciate the the stretch or you don't want to get yourself to that place or you don't want to experience something different, there's shit on there for everybody, you know? But at the same time, I'm not going to be less of who I want to be as, as a chef, as a person, as a restaurateur, because you don't want to stretch yourself out a little bit more. And I think a lot of times people, they always want to serve, you know, I use the reference of the burrata salad all the time because the burrata salad, no matter what you put on it, no matter how you, you, people are going to buy it. Sure. Right, because it's a fucking barata salad, right? Yeah. You can put tomatoes yeah. on it, you can put cucumbers on it, you can put yeah. salad, you can put. Uh, it doesn't matter the dressing. Oh, barata! I'll have that. I'll have burrata. I'll have the burrata. and just people always fold to that, right? So you could you could be a burrata salad, or you could be something else. And years three, four, and five, and five was obviously the most interesting one. You know, we were who we were, and you know, we pushed the envelope of the space the most we could. I mean, the kitchen's only ten feet long. Um, as far as we could and it was appreciated I, and I say that in in, ver- in very specific terms it was appreciated people came people dined people enjoyed there's like we said there's no guide here the beard awards are very funny for the state of Florida and like all those things and it but at the end of the day like how I tell my staff we don't do it for those things we do it for ourselves And that's something I learned myself. That evolution was, I am a 35-year-old American Cuban. I was born Hylia. My family roots are as Cuban as it gets. I left this city for five years, and I did learn how Cuban I really was because I was not like anybody else. And I embraced that. And then also, that stigma of Cuban food needs to be X, Y, and Z. I am not those things. So we will fight through that to be who we are sure and we'll grow with it and it's about being fearless and relentless and persistent because yeah people are going to doubt you but you i mean if you doubt yourself then you're fucked man right you're the whole thing just fold give it up you know like because there's no if you doubt yourself then
0: you're there's no there's nothing at that point and and also we're not in some rocket science business you know like right. what we do is get the best ingredient possible We give our passion, we price it right, and we serve it to our customer to make them happy. Right. You know, I feel like, you know, forget about whether you're a Cuban, whether I'm Korean. I feel like, you know, a great ingredient and the passion and the right intention, that's universal, you know. And I feel like we can stick to it. And I totally really relate to you in a sense that when I try to do Korean steakhouse, they're like, dude, you're a Korean barbecue restaurant, you know, like. Korean barbecue is fun because it's casual and, like, it's... uh... I said, no, no. Like, there is different aspect to Korean cuisine and, you know, we're going to have the largest wine list probably in Miami, you know? Oh, yeah? How many wines? About 1,200 labels. 1,200 labels? Yeah. Fuck me, man. Yeah. It's going to be pretty awesome. But the way I see it is, like, why not, right? Like, why not have have access to... Beautiful wine, beautiful steak, cook right on your table. And if you want to pigeonhole me to this Korean thing, you can, but I'm not in that pigeonhole. I want to get the best steak and get the best wine, a great beverage program with the hospitality, and I ha- I want to have the best time of my life with my guests. And to me, if you want to if you want to pigeonhole me, good luck, you know? I'm right. here to have a great time.
2: I love that. Yeah. Man, this is good. This good is a good this is a good place i like it thank you it's a good a good place to be three martinis three negronis Seriously. you're drinking jack daniels or whatever the fuck it is you whatever drink. it is
1: whatever your jack daniels knockoff is around here.
0: <laughs> that's good. some
1: some some james pepper guy <laughs> that's, good time. that's good that's good that's good, that's good. That's
0: good. <laughs> i didn't expect how much of a good time I was have. listen this Come is a up. good time this...
1: i i told i told those pr people i was like listen Listen, maybe we're not that big a deal, but we have a good time around here. Good time is what is
2: after, what after? That's it. I can tell you, the best thing about this podcast is actually the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the other things suck. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's a good time. We talk a lot of shit. Yeah, we man. drink. We have it. You know, like people I'm, always come I'm, in yeah. with like this. You know, we actually did a podcast with uh, Jean George. Yeah. Right. I love the man. I love him too. I respect him, and like, he was like so structured, and I'm like I'm not right. I'm like I'm very like, hey, let's go have a drink. Let's. I'm off the cuff always. Add. (laughs) Yeah, I love
1: I love the pictures of that podcast too. Like he's got his chef's coat on and all the gel in his hair, and you shut up in a flannel shirt. (laughs) Like who in Miami has a flannel shirt?
2: (laughs) I have several flannel shirts, Uh,
0: several. But you don't listen. First of all, misconception. Not all flannel is thick and no. I know. I know. True. Especially when you wash it right away out of the dryer. But it's nobody shows
1: up at the addition in a flannel shirt and a and a, what is that a dad cap?
0: It is a dad cap. Yeah, but you have to admit
2: I looked good. Oh man, and I did, know. I did. If only you had rolled up in a Harley.
0: Well, soon, <laughs> soon, well, soon. A caddy would have done this, done the job.
1: Uh, excuse me, Jean George. We're going to go round two. The Whatever Harley has gonna, arrived. As long as I JGV
0: can park- <laughs> Chef JGV. He's such a legend, man. He is the legend. I was so, like,
2: outclassed in that whole podcast. Yeah. I was like, what am I even doing here? This is weird. <laughs> I showed up early at notes. I never take notes.
0: Honestly, even amongst three Michelin chefs that I had an honor of getting acquaintances with, honestly, I think Jean-Georges is the sexiest. He's, oh, like, yeah? the most, like... I've never seen him with any scruffles in his face ever. Yeah, he's you just, know, like, he's, clean. And it's, yeah. like,
2: you know, like, the just... I can imagine that his workstation is probably impeccable. Just like fucking, like, you know.
0: He's one of the Jedis, you know.
2: He is. He is. Yeah. I mean, I don't know which Jedi he would be, but he would be one of the higher up ones. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Nick, I think it's time.
1: So, ladies and gentlemen, this is where we do our wind down. Uh, It starts with our parting recommendation. Actually, we're adding a new segment. Okay. All right. Fine. New segment. Okay. Woo! So apparently, New segment. <laughs> apparently, I, I wasn't sure if this was going to be involved here, but okay. So our wind down is now several steps. So it is. step one, do you want to do this first? Well, okay. Hold on, this, hold on, I hold had on, hold on. Let me, let me, hold on.
2: I had an epiphany. I know Let's you had an epiphany, epiphany okay, all right, fine. No. It was I was working the pass on Saturday night, and there was a refire check, and I have like I fucking cannot stand refire checks. They just fuck up the whole flow of the kitchen. They just piss me the fuck off. And I was like, motherfucker, and they didn't give me. A refired dupe. And I was like pissed. I was just angry. Yeah. So at that moment, the whole idea of like did not like, it's like came into my head. It wasn't it wasn't a, a DNL, but it was a thing. So I was like, what if this was a segment on the podcast? A DNL se- segment. What did you do this week that you did not like? Oh. And it could be anything. <laughs> it could be you watched the show. It could be, like, Chef, you look great in that flannel shirt. I know. You look better in the flannel shirt than I do. Hey, keep him under control, all right? I need him to show up to work tomorrow. All right. Um,
0: it's a thing. It's <laughs> a thing. Or,
2: yeah, it is a thing. Yeah. It's a uh, thing. That's what it is? Yeah, it's a thing. Okay. So, the did not like.
1: Okay.
2: I had two did not likes this week. One is more like I did not appreciate, and the other one is I did not like. You just want to shit on things. <laughs> that's not true. I don't want to shit on anything. Okay. But listen Wonder Woman, the sequel, did not like. Did not like. I'm a big fan of uh, the actress, the lead actress, Gal Gadot. That one. Better the, the movie. Not good. This is uh, Wonder Woman, 1984. That one. Second DNL. Okay. There's a new concept that's popping up all over the town <laughs> called chicken cone. I know, man. God, what is that? <laughs> I know it's. You know when we talk about like romance and yeah. shit, like this is not that. This is not that. Chicken cone. So, essentially, they had they have figured out a concept to beat the system. Every system needs a grease trap and a hood, right? That is kind of like the thing with sure, all kitchens. Of course. This one, they figured out a way that they didn't need pretty much either almost. Yeah. They still need a grease trap. Chicken cone. That's it. So, basically, they have two air fryers, gigantic. I didn't know there was commercial air fryers to begin with, but apparently there are two gigantic commercial air fryers, Okay. And they're taking chicken tenders out of a, bog, a bag. I'm assuming, it looked like it. That's what I ate. They put them in the air fryer. Oh, you you ate it? Oh, I ate it. Oh, I okay. ate there. Yeah, yeah. I, This is not just something that Hold I no. just. I, Let me. What's the psyche? Why did you eat it? Okay, yeah, so yeah. there's more to unpack yeah, here. Yeah. So I, I I just took a refresher course on on riding, right? Because I hadn't ridden in a long time. Oh wow! So okay. I could get my bike and sure. I could feel more comfortable on my bike. So. Next to this, I thought you said writing. That's what like, I thought like, too. I was like, like, "This is a no, guy. not like, writing. No, like intellectual shit." Hey, no, I, whenever I need to writing, write, okay, no, yes. no, whenever I need to write things, I send them to Nick so he can yeah, make yeah. them legible. I
1: was going to say this is going to make my life so easy.
2: Fuck <laughs> off, Nick! Come on, uh, give me a little credit here. No, no, you're good. Fuck off. Um, so next to it was just this like little. It was like a little block with a bunch of cute little concepts. So over the course of three days, I just tried all the concepts. Right, I tried to poke a place. I tried a juice bar. I tried a cookie place, and I tried this thing, right? So chicken cone was my first uh, experiment of the trying of the things. And, you know, as much as it was like it was edible, it just was, to me, so lazy in, like, execution and the whole thing. Air fryer, french fries that come out of a bag, chicken tenders that come out of a bag. The waffle mix, I'm sure, comes out of a bag, and you add fucking water to it, and just the whole thing. I understand intellectually why it works. You know, there's five sauces. That's the whole thing. And CapEx is low. Yeah. It, it just like, it, it just like the whole thing. And then I ate the food and it was 15 bucks. And I was like, 15 bucks for what? Like, was it a good value or no? No, it wasn't a good value either. You know, it's a cone with some chicken tenders in it that are chopped up to my thing too. I hate when people chop up things like that. (laughs) If it's, Because that's what it is. They're buying the chicken tender in a bag, so then they're chopping up the chicken. For me, you take the whole chicken. If you're really frying them whole, you're getting, you're getting the cubed thing, mm-hmm. and you're frying that, and then you're tossing
0: that in sauce. That proves to me that you're making it, right? But what if they got uh, chicken cubes that's been cubed and then fried in a bag? That's man, that's a good
2: curveball. Yeah, that's a loophole. That's, a, that's a after good they loop- heard this. Your our podcast. Oh. They're gonna be and like, there's you know so what, many fuck people it, yeah. that have heard our podcast and yeah. been very upset after and yeah. not like this.
1: Yeah. Chicken cone. We'll never have a guest from chicken, chicken cone.
2: Chicken and cone. Esmeralda. All of them put together. They're they're not loving us. But anyways, I feel like they could do a better job. Uh, if they want me to consult, I'm more than willing for the right price. Um, I like it. <laughs> And then, obviously, Wonder Woman. Those are my DNLs for the week. Right.
1: You got any DNLs, Simon? You go first, Nick. I, I wasn't ready with DNLs. Neither Neither was I wasn't. Like. I love it. No, I-, I didn't do any prep for DNL. I That's this, good. Because I thought this was going to be a you rambling thing. Kind of like kind of like the sports minute.
2: Oh, the sports minute was good. Uh,
1: so let's we'll, not do the sports minute. So let's minute. Yeah, so let's just shift to our... Uh, our no, you cannot, no,
2: you cannot. You cannot oh, okay, shift away. Okay. You need to find something you did not oh, like this week. Okay. Come on.
1: Uh... I just don't want to keep... I don't want to hold us up too much. No, so you're I'm, doing You can edit all that shit out. So I'm going to say the thing that I did not like is really a thing that I don't like ever, uh, all the time. Uh, Simon, I assume you're not a regular listener of this podcast. I am a libertarian crazy person. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man. And I just generally don't <sighs> so like... I just generally don't like the pomp and circumstance of government things. Of course. No matter what party it is, I don't like the... The however many How do do thousand flags day? and the lights and the poems and the songs and Jennifer Lopez, and I didn't like it when, uh, who the fuck, Ted Nugent or some loser did it for Trump. Like, I don't like all that stuff. I think that our government should not be that important. I think that's, to me, that's part of my understanding of of Americanness and American culture and American's, America's relationship to its government. And every time that we do that, every time there's a special ceremony it feels like no you should my favorite thing trump ever did was serve people big macs in the oval in the in the white that house
2: that was dreadful
1: I, that was dreadful but because it was, was dreadful, dreadful was why i liked it because it sort of gave it took it down a notch in importance and i loved that was it. The people from Alinea that that said to the the Syracuse, yeah, they
2: would that they could come and yeah. Eat was it Syracuse
1: there. when they no? Uh, oh, uh, Clemson, not Clemson, Clemson. Clemson. When yeah, Clemson won, they were like, you can, And to me, it was like, "Okay, I'm sure they weren't thinking of it the way that I am." But I love that. I love no. You know what? We're uh, we're just people. And we're gonna help you celebrate this win instead of you thinking that the highest thing you could possibly do is get fed, I don't know, fucking lobster by Donald Trump or something.
2: You know that's yeah. not like, why he did that,
1: though. No, it's, because he because he because he's an animal. He's a fucking. But that's also moron. not. But that's also not why the Alinea people did it. But that, I liked the outcome, and what I'm saying is that what I don't like is when people yeah, the grandiose. Yeah, thing, when people talk like, and when people talk like they're having a religious experience watching a politician give a speech on TV. Personally, I don't like it.
2: I, right. I I like the less because imp- we we came the to the lesson important, that, but politics suppressed us. Yeah.
0: DNL understood. Let's uh, keep it to <laughs> culinary now. You know. I, oh, I, oh, I don't yeah, cook yeah, anything. Yeah, 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 I, don't, yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't have a restaurant, so I can't help no, I, you. I definitely. I definitely feel you. I have a similar sentiment. My DNL would be. I just recently had um, a big donut. You know, uh, we're going Ooh. through this training. You know, so. Um some of them brought donuts as uh my one of my managers bought a bunch of bulk donuts to you know coffee and donuts you know it's a, you know it's a thing that gets yeah, people yeah. going. You
2: didn't like the donut.
0: I fucking hated the donut. I know, you know. Where I know where the donut came from you don't need to yeah. say it, but I know it. It's where like, came. like hey You bro, don't even need to tell me. Bro, I got it. If you're going to fry a carb like bleached flour you're going to fry that thing with bunch of sugar. Yeah. Better be fucking good. I know if I'm wasting all that time. Come on if you're going to actually put your wrist in your stomach with a fried, uh, bleached flour I with a so shit much. ton of sugar, right? Like it's like so honestly, I did not like the donut that I ate. So okay.
2: That That's plan. cool. You don't need to name any names. That's no. fine. I have to say, I am a Krispy Kreme guy. 100% Krispy Kreme glazed only. There's a place in up North called uh, Dandy Donuts. No, there's uh, in North Miami. Have you ever been to yaku I have not, no. Oh man. Come on, man we got to we got to we got to do that yakosan is not as good as it used to but it's part of the tradition you go to yako you eat a bunch of fucking food you get pretty banged up on sake and then you get a crispy cream down the street right where if the lights on they're making it yeah. fresh
0: i love crispy creams oh man but i, I don't like, like when they come to the supermarket
2: no because it's all pre-made exactly. shit exactly yeah yeah it's not yeah. the same this no, is like no. an actual like fast food stop and sure. actually behind that one that's like their commissary for where they yeah. go to all the supermarkets. So right. there's all the trucks back there. So you know you're getting the good shit. Sure. Right. So, I mean, literally, the fact that the Krispy Kreme donut disintegrates on the way to your mouth, to me, yeah. is the euphoric experience.
0: 100%. Of a cri- That's what I'm now, looking for. The
2: gigantic donut with all the plating on top of it, with the things that do not make any sense, to me, is a bunch of, like, mental masturbation. Right? It's like sitting at home. And now he's like, "Oh, it's so nice to put this on." No, stop putting things on my donut. Just give me the fucking donut. Anyways,
0: it's like M and M line. Uh, move your lips, bunch of. Move your lips, but nothing comes. Your nothing comes out when you move your lips. Bunch of gibberish. That's what go. those donuts are. That's right.
1: Those donuts oh. forgot about Dre. I love it. Donuts <laughs> forgot
2: about Dre. Look at that. That's good.
1: Alright, uh, Parting recommendation. That was for. a good news. That, that was a very I good. I like the I, DNL. DNL. Segment. I'm gonna come That's prepared cool. for DNL next time. DNL, man. That means. Uh, did not like did not yeah. like so we do parting recommendations things that you did like and that you think people listening should do it could be literally anything a movie a book a, it could be food you ate a hotel you whatever um and if you stick around after parting recommendations and our uh shameless plugs which is where everybody just tells people where they can find you uh, you will hear some Patreon exclusive five stuff. Five questions with Simon. Is that, it's always going to be five questions. Then okay, I so, mean I'm, I'm it's be like up a, five questions, like a, like a lightning best. round, yeah. lightning round questions. Uh, so
0: parting oh. recommendations, Simon, you got anything? I do. Okay. So parting recommendations. <laughs>
1: this is good.
0: Vodka martini. <laughs> hey. There you go. Yeah, vodka martini will get you from point A to B very fast, I love
2: that. It's like a Honda Accord.
0: <laughs> exactly. And I feel like martini is very similar to oysters. Oh, yeah. 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 A lot of people have bad initial experience with oysters because mm. during your college time, you went to Dollar Oyster Place. It was shitty oysters. Oh, so you're like, I hate oysters. No you know? Similar with uh, martini. When you're in college, you get like shitty martini from some shitty bartender who put a bunch of vermouth in it. It's like you're, you think that you hate martini. But perfectly well-crafted martini, which um, Ariette just served me. Is times, literally, like, especially when the week is over, you had a long week, this shit melts your stress like a stick of butter. So, Maybe my parting that. recommendation. Ariadne is-, is open seven days a week, everyone. From five <laughs> <to seven. laughs> and you can't start early here, right?
2: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Mike,
1: parting recommendations?
2: Uh, So, I had one. Oh, I talked about it. So, equally, I had the terrible chicken cone. Uh-huh. I had a great cookie. Oh, right. Cookies, actually. So Max Santiago, which is a guy I used to work with, um, he's another Normans guy. He partnered with some people. He opened up a cookie place, and it was, like, on the other side of this, like, cute little block of random things. So I was like, all right, fuck it. You know, like, I'm game to – I bought, like, five cookies, and I'm like, I'm going to have a quarter of all these cookies, and I'm going to try the cookies. And I'm a cookie – like, I love cookies, man. Like – it will make a very bad day much better if I have a good chocolate chip cookie. So I tried them all. And, man, I have to say, they were all fucking delicious. What is this? It's in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Yeah, they were all fucking delicious. Are I, they on Goldbelly? Belly? Huh? Are they in Gold Belly? I think they are, actually. Okay. I think they are. <laughs> um, next time I go to Fort Lauderdale, I'll bring yeah. you some. Cool. But they do, like – and they also do gluten-free and, like, vegan ones that – I tried and are very good. And, like, I had just regular uh, chocolate chip and I had peanut butter. And, like, man, they were all fucking delicious. They were all I – w- I wanted to be mad about something, and I just wasn't. <laughs> I, was, I was like, <laughs> I cannot be mad about anything that I just had. They're very good. We're not getting paid for this ad. This no. is a legitimate thing. I paid full price for all of them,
0: and they were very good. Very good. Yeah, you're going to have one with after the chicken and cone. Ch-
2: yeah. <laughs> that was, actually, cone. The, the I had them. This is a funny story, and I'll inject this into our party. Sure, yeah, go for it. So I was like, I wanted to eat clean, right? So it was like a poke place there. And I was like, all right, let me just get like a little bit of this stuff, and I'll have it on vegetables and, you know, whatever. I'll, then I'll be able to go to my class. But I didn't read like the fine print, and I got the first poke bowl there. And I didn't know, like, they didn't put in the fine print, like light your ass up, f- poke bowl. And I'm usually pretty good with heat, but this, this shit, I do not know what was in this, but I was like, sweating like a quarter way through the bowl. I was like what the fuck is in here i'm like S- like i'm literally a dripping sweat like what is happening i deal with sweat pretty well so i, a, I a, the guy was like is everything fine i'm like yeah it's delicious i'm, I'm good <laughs> <laughs> i was just i'm a light eater let me put a top on it it's fucking and it was good i'm definitely not downing it it was good i was it was just like real fucking hot like and i was like okay so i sat in my car for 20 minutes and i was like okay let me get a couple cookies Really like calm this. And that's why I got cookies.
0: Can't wait to try
2: it. Yeah. It was good. It's good. All right, Nick.
1: So my parting recommendation, I, I have mentioned on this podcast another podcast that is not paying for us for this either. Fuck me. I know. Uh called How Did This Get Made? How Did This Get Made is uh about shitty movies. Uh so it's a panel that talks about shitty movies. It's uh Jason Manzukas. Paul Shear and June Diane Raphael. Uh, and the most recent episode, at least at the time that I got in there, was about a movie called A Gnome Named Norm, the 1990 movie uh, starring Anthony Michael Hall, who you might know from 16 Candles. Uh The movie's awful, but if you like movies that are so bad they're good because of just how weirdly bad they are, uh, this is good. And if you're a podcast person, I recommend. That you watch this shitty movie called A Gnome Named Norm and then go listen to the corresponding episode of How Did This Get Made.
2: Last parting recommendation. Go for it. I've had like a weird I I'm very big into music. All kinds of music except for country. I'm not it's not my bag. But I'll go through like phases that I'm always like old school hip hop, or I'm like somewhat nineties hip-hop, or I'll go through like early 2000s hip hop and then there's a couple of like modern artists i'll listen to or whatever and then i'll go into old rock or i'll go into 70s or i'll go into springsteen so i've never been into things like the deftones or i've just it's never been like my bag but for some reason the last like 14 to 20 days i have dove super deep yeah and I think it's because I wake up very early and I need to be, like, super jacked to get to the gym because I'm about to get, like, beat up. Mm. So you need to, like, sure. be ready for that. Yeah. All that. All that bob and weave. So I, yeah. I I, recently got into a album, Dance Gavin Dance, Downtown Battle Mountain. It's all scream music. It's very weird for me. If that's your mood for the day, I recommend it. It's very good. I actually am shocked that I'm recommending this.
1: With it. cool time it. for shameless plugs oh. we're gonna let simon go first let everybody know where they can find you and all of your stuff yeah like restaurants you whatever else you might want to do
0: yeah so we are in design district uh on the corner of second avenue and 39th street uh we're opening in next uh you know two three weeks uh fingers crossed and uh you'll find some amazing steak and uh, amazing hospitality and a shit ton of good times so you'll find us there but that's not all but um if you can't wait or if you're at home if you don't want to go out go to Goldbelly, and you can order our steak online so if you're stuck at home if you like steak if you if you don't want to eat cream of spinach and mashed potato with your steak but instead like pickled vegetable and keep your beach bod
3: yeah, I like that. order your Miami steak, line. right? Order you your go.
0: steak on Gold Belly. Uh, a coat, so shameless plug. Here it was.
1: There you go, Mike. Shameless plug. All the things. All right, all right fine. That's yeah. what you're gonna do. Finally, we pan- this. I know, times. I know, <laughs> but who knows? Times? Maybe people How are plugs Maybe people need? are coming here for the first time. But you know what? Fuck you. So, Pancon Podcast, dademagcom slash Podcast. It's Pancon Podcast on all the social media things. That's Spanish for podcast sandwich. And also, if you want to support what we're doing around here, it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com slash Dade Mag. For as little as a buck a month, you can support what we're doing and get some exclusive content, like for example, the five weird questions Mike is about to ask Simon. Show some love. Boom, show some love. And if show you pledge me the money. Show me the money. If you show us enough money. Eventually, you can get a mug. My understanding is <laughs> there I are three the Pancom podcast mugs in the world. Mike and I have never been in the same room <laughs> as a Pancom podcast mug, uh, but some people have Pancom podcast mugs. They're drinking coffee out and of mug sleeves with our weird pornographic microphone sandwich it's logo not pornographic, on. It. Man. Some people think it is. I, I didn't think it was it. when I, I took that check picture. Check this out. Dude.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So. Uh, so that's all of our plugs. Patreon and social media Five and all that shit. And this is where it's over. Give me Mike, all your I, money. you didn't have a hot button topic sound, but give us a sound. Boop. That's where it ends. <laughs> <laughs>